Off the ball. Somebody says this is bizarre radio. Ice cream on a pancake. Tuna. <laughs> He's brought shame to the whole town, village where he lives. Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB Sports app. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. Alright, alright, you're very welcome along. It is bang on half past seven, it's a Thursday morning, the weekend is nearly here. Uh, it means no Shane Hannon because he's off watching uh, Man United 3, Barcelona 1 tonight in the second leg. And I think, is he also going to the Carabao Cup final? Or certainly there was some um, talk of him looking for tickets for that. Uh, so instead we've got uh, Johnny. Johnny, good morning to you. How are you, Ger? What's the crack? I'm very well, how are you? And also Colm. Johnny and Jerk, good morning. I don't think Shane is going to go to the League Cup final, but I know he definitely wants to. And I presume if there's anybody out there with a spare ticket going by, you can get in touch with at Shane Hannon. I have a, I've a, I've a lad who can get uh, football tickets, actually. So for anything, anytime. He's good, very good football, yeah. Don't, know, don't ask any questions, but um, yeah. All right. Um, so, yeah, that shouldn't be a problem. Well, I might talk to you about that. I have a friend mm. looking for tickets. Well, remember you asked me of late, and I did, I did actually sort you out, wanted uh, something in return. and You wanted Ireland-England tickets. Just, just to put, a, put that on record. Ireland-England rugby tickets. On the day that Ireland are going for their first home Grand Slam slash championship, they weren't for me either. They were assuming would be okay. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, it'll be probably one of the toughest sporting events to get tickets for ever in Ireland. I would have thought the Ireland England game. Yeah, mm. France game looked completely impossible. We've obviously had the debate about the rugby tickets, but the Ireland England game. Yeah, if they beat Scotland. Yeah, and Italy, of course. Mm. <laughs> Have we any concerns about the Italian game? Uh, Cameron certainly did yesterday. There wasn't much coming through by way of uh, comment on our YouTube channel or at Off The Ball AM. No. People are counting their chickens. Interesting to see how Ross Byrne gets on if he starts. Very hard to see, though, the way Ireland are playing. I think, I think it'll be reasonably competitive, though. Ross Byrne and Craig Casey are starting, according to both of the... Um, all three of the uh, Irish papers this morning have uh, Ross Byrne at 10, Craig Casey at 9. We've got Ian Henderson at 4. And we've got Bundy back in the team at 12 for this game so they're making changes but not wholesale changes everybody else is as you would expect sorry Ronan Kelleher starting at 2 and means Dan Sheehan is on the bench which yeah, James Tracy predicted he's going to be in um, studio with us a little bit later on So it adds, it just adds a, a layer of interest in the game see how Ross Byrne gets on starting at out half and see uh, if, if Sexton were injured indefinitely going forward what sort of Nick or Ireland in and I thought Ross Byrne was, looked like um like when he was introduced against France, it looked like it was seamless to me, and I'm not obviously a rugby, f- but it's. It, I think it's going to make it really interesting. Um, he's going to be the centerpiece of the game, I think. Uh, I'm reliably informed Shane is going to watch the Manchester United women in the FA Cup on Sunday uh, versus Durham. Um, so get tickets uh, for that. Speaking of counting chickens, uh, it was one 0 last night after about 68, 69 minutes uh, in the game between Manchester City and Red Bull Leipzig in Germany in the round of last 16 in the Champions League were you Johnny Ward counting your chickens as a a one time one night only supporter of Manchester City I've had I've had one decent bet this year really and that was on the game last night Um, I two I backed Man City twice this season the other time was at Anfield 
couldn't see them being beaten lost that game um, last night they were very good in the first half Jerry, I thought really good in the first half um, but for me I, sorry, I'm not a very good gambler I'm, I'm really not a very good gambler but the one the one aphorism that I remember being taught very early on you're good after timer judging on the office this morning anyway was backing odds on favourites away from home is the fastest way to the poorhouse one of the most stupid things I've ever heard honestly it I is mean, it is it is I'm telling you, this is this is from a a degenerate veteran punter who was like backing odds on favourites from away one from to home. the other. From one to the other. No, you could you could make the case that it was a, it was a dodgy game for Man City. I mean, if you see the back of the uh, Irish Mail, agony for Pep as Haaland flops and City are held by Leipzig. I think that's a massive exaggeration. It's, it's first of all, it's first world problem. It's not agony because a one all draw in the first leg. Well, it's the ghost of all those other games against slightly inferior opposition where they get in their own heads. They're supposed to win the game, and I'm telling you, I was like only half watching the game last night. I was like, this is not going to end well for them. There's just too many chances being missed. That's why you come here for your incisive, uh, top-class analysis. I was only half watching the game and I knew this would happen. Um, the second half, sure, you could see it was the game was slipping away from them. Yeah. And he was he was placid on the sideline, Pep. I'm, and I was saying to the lads on WhatsApp, I was like, why is Pep not doing something here? They're, the three at the back was really exposing them down the flanks. Two on one for the corner that resulted in the equaliser. They'd, they'd lost their initiative after absolutely dominating the first half. Um, and then when they did um, concede they were again very good but a couple of points um, I, I'm not a bad loser in terms of like a losing bet I can take a losing bet God knows I've had enough of them but seriously what is what is the effing point of VAR if it's not a given a penalty at the end he literally picks up the ball he practically scoops the ball like he's picking up ice cream in, in the box and it's the last and they, they don't give a penalty I'm like what the actual am I, have I actually just seen this and secondly Haaland was shite like he was really really poor I'm looking at his stats here on a what I presume is a reputable website in his last like say 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9 10 games in which he's failed to score in 8 of them um, and his um figure for each game 6.47 and 6.9765.9 um he was very poor last night i have to say if you if you'd never seen Hallam before you're like how did that lad how was he not taken off he'd one good chance second half dragged it wide i'm not sure his confidence is that high at the moment he didn't give me the his body language wasn't great um, and Manchester City couldn't find him i think he's touched the ball maybe twice in the first half um so he's gone through a little bit of a a little bit of a, a, a slow spell, but as Manchester City, I, I think in terms of the title race now, I'm still fancying Arsenal. I, Man, Manchester City had a great chance to seize the initiative. They couldn't beat Forest, and I wouldn't be banging on the beaten Leipzig in the second leg on, on the base of last night. They just they just look vulnerable. Yeah. And, and Pep came out on the pitch then and kind of given all this at the end. Of that the was a little bit Neil Warnock, wasn't it? It's a bit weird. Oh, sorry, not Neil Warnock. Look uh, at the body language of the pair. Phil, what's his name? Um, at Hull. Oh, the, yeah. The that was the end of this man. They they'd stayed up that time, hadn't they? Or had he come out at half time anyway? It was a bit strange. I was like, it's one all, okay, get over it. And it's it's partly your fault because the game was completely slipping away from you in the second half and you did nothing. Like you did absolutely nothing, at least to my eye. Listening to Johnny Effin and Jeff and first thing in the morning is one of the signs that spring is here, says Dara O'Toole. Yes indeed it is, Dara. But Dara, it was it was one of these things, it was like um I I can take a beating and I was regretting the bet in the second half to an extent but I was like seriously what is the point of VAR Which and also they gave two minutes of two minutes of injury time what was the point trialling like 12 minutes of injury time in the World Cup I and don't know. just getting rid of it that was it. let's trial something in the World Cup 
And then you're like, well, there were about six substitutions in the second half. Well, let's, two let's, minutes of injury time. Let's Fair fi- enough. Let's Still enough time for, for a blatant, blatant penalty not to be given. Let's fix something in the World Cup and then forget about yeah. the fact that we fix it. Well, I think is, is the, the way of portraying that. Because uh, the extra time in the World Cup was brilliant. It led to incredible drama. I, I wasn't a massive fan. I thought the games were a bit too long at like 100 minutes or whatever. But anyway, or 110 minutes at times. Yeah, not for you, the... Uh, the comeback from the Dutch and the ultimate penalties. No, you don't like that. I have no bet in the game. But sorry, Colm, what was what is the point of VAR? If and it was like it was like the Liverpool Brighton game. What is the point of VAR if Evan Ferguson is practically decapitated and you not get the right answer for me? But so. this is literally the most stonewall penalty ever. And it's like, oh, sorry, what happened there? No explanation. Everyone's good over to the referee. No idea. And then they just cut to the studio and blah blah blah. blah. I think like, it was like uh, five to five in the office on a Friday afternoon and. They were like they were kind of side, they kind of mentally checked out and they were like oh this this three is going to come to nothing it will just Phil head Brown, to the keeper and we're nearly, we're, near, we're nearly done and then uh, the handball happened and it was well, oh they're just appealing they always appeal last minute for a penalty and then well we'll forget it I, I'm telling you they mentally definitely checked out of the game I, that's a, that's the only explanation for what happened not that it was only a Champions League last season whatever it's the only explanation something like this right so the ball comes in he kind of goes like this no penalty. <laughs> Like I don't know. Uh, I can take a beating, but sorry. Like this is a, this was not a game in the Phoenix Park. Sorry, the disparaged Phoenix Park. Last you seen the Champions League, and that's not a penalty with VAR. Okay, what's the point? Maybe it's a, a conspiracy against Manchester City, uh, which wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. To be fair, I've no, I don't want them to do well at all. Apart from if you have a bet in the game, which is fair enough. Um, but there are a lot of worries there, Jar. I think you know the they, they should be beaten. Leipzig are what fifth in the Bundesliga, albeit a tight Bundesliga this year. Not a bad side. But they should be. They're not a bad side. Um, why was Pep? Why did Pep do nothing when the game was clearly slipping away from them in the second half? Like the goal was not like undue at all. The equaliser. They've kept just four clean sheets in that fifteen games, mm. Man City. You know, Haaland is the interesting one because Haaland is is when when he's not when if and I made this point last night when Haaland is not in the box he's actually not that he's an, he's an average enough player outside the box he, he as long as he's you've, he doesn't have space to run into his touch is okay he needs to be in the box and doing stuff inside the box when he's not doing that he gives the ball away a lot of the time and City City don't really look for him they kind of like look elsewhere they pass across they go they go to Grealish who was very good they go to yeah. Mares who played now, well Gund- scored obviously Gundogan uh, when he was man of the match a couple of weeks. I remember he was handing over the man of the match uh, was talking about how uh, Haaland had played better in that game he'd made the runs that he was supposed to make and there is this, just this sense that they haven't quite worked out exactly mm. but uh, that's it's not untypical for anybody coming into Pep's team it takes a long time for you to get in the team to get his faith like Sergio Aguero did not have the faith of well, Pep Guardiola absolutely uh, we're starting to see some signs of Grealish being excellent. It took a long time for anybody who's come in. He's only 26 Premier League goals as well. Well, no, that, well that's the <laughs> it's point, not, it's right? Bad, it's 32 overall, 26 yeah. in the Premier League. And speaking of Sergio Aguero, he's levelled uh, Aguero's all-time Premier League for a season already. Yeah. So if he, mm. he's one goal shy of Man City's best ever Premier League season. So that's one side of what Haaland's impact has been so far. And then the other side is you have games like last night which are becoming fairly frequent now where he's completely isolated and basically a passenger. And at the same time, you're talking about the most lethal striker in world football. And it is a bit of a conundrum. The only, uh, the only comparison I can think of in modern football history was when Manchester United signed Ruud van Nistelrooy in 2001. And van Nistelrooy was brilliant that season, but United as a team 
like were, they were worse. They diminished a little because it wasn't as free-flowing as it had been because Van Nistelrooy didn't quite fit into the rhythm of everybody else. But he was their best player that season. Yeah. That's kind of what's happening with Haaland now. And... Uh, Pep seems a bit exasperated. If it, yeah, if City played with a false nine last night, they would have played better, I think. Now this it's a kind of a stupid point because if you're playing against a team with Haaland in it, you necessarily you can't play a high line really because he's just too quick. So Leipzig obviously did play sort of a conservative game and they sat back. And and I've I've sympathy for Haaland as well because if Haaland isn't getting the ball in the box and he, he's making runs but City aren't really finding him with passes. He he, he himself I think he he caught a frustrated figure last night. He had a good chance in the second half, albeit on his right foot, and he shanked it like he was it was a really poor finish. And his body language as well as during the game at the end, I thought betrayed his kind of um frustration. It's it's going to be very interesting going forward because he's definitely frustrated at the moment and he's not playing that well with what I've seen of him. I counted two touches in the first 35 yeah. minutes and it, it possibly was three by half time. Mm. So you can improve a little bit in the second half. But it's funny because last season they were between Aguero and Haaland. They were a better team. Mm. But on paper they're far superior this season and that must be a head-scratcher for Pep. Definitely. The one that I would think they would say is Jack Grealish is really coming along quite nicely. He, I thought, was very impressive last night. Also, he was fouled about 20 times, and I think he might give him one yellow card. But there's there's also this thing that's creeping into the game where just fouls are sort of, and I'm, again, I know you're laughing, Ger, but like they're giving away, there's so many fouls now. It's creeping into the league of Ireland as well, I think. I haven't seen you as passionate about anything. I I hate VAR, and I'm a fan of letting the game go, but there are a lot, like the Liverpool Brighton game is a good example where these ridiculous fouls aren't even bookings anymore. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So it's like, no, where it's are true. we with the rules? Like, well, we, we've definitely gone, there's been an overcorrection in mm. favour of the brutalisation of the best players. Yeah. We're kind of thinking, like, the game was excellent for a long period of time. The best football we've ever seen was when Messi was at his peak at Barcelona and it was a foul to come through the back of somebody and try and break their ankle. Yeah. And that, that's why Messi and Ronaldo were able to play 80 games in a calendar year and everybody was like, well, this is pretty good, isn't it? They're scoring record amounts. Yeah. Oh, no, too good, too much. Too much high quality stuff that we're seeing here. We need to allow the defenders to even things up again. Well, I, I like that too. Like, remember, remember the Father Ted episode where um, they, they raffle the car, which involves obviously your man having two thousand on the, and he he actually you know he he gambled a bit too much, your man the spin master whatever. Remember when Ted like he he slightly dented the car and he goes, "I'll sorry, just just fix that." VAR is a bit like that at the moment. It's like let's let's tinker with it and let's. Where are we if last night is is normal? Like, wh- what is the point of VAR if that's not a penalty? And that's is this human error it's a, it's a complete systematic failure if that's not a penalty it, that could actually rule Man City out of the holy grail to win the Champions League they're not certain to win that second leg the way they're playing absolutely not I don't think they're certain at all to win the, the second leg and I, I, I totally buy the point that uh, this could be a massive moment because if you're Leipzig in the dressing room afterwards you're like wow Absol- we got away with one absolutely yeah. like, it's one all they, they'll, they'll definitely think they can score even Werner played quite well and like they're not bad Leipzig in fairness they're not a bad side um, and I don't know that was that was, that was insanely f- uh, frustrating to watch for somebody who obviously lost money on the game. <laughs> That's all. I have no more to say. Grealish was fouled. Come on, the amount of diving in the game is getting out of hand. Call that out along with all the cynical fouling. Uh, but you know, if you're he wasn't diving Grealish, he was constantly fouled. Um, they knew he was turning inside in his right foot the whole time, and they kept fouling. <laughs> Mark Morgan has another modern example. There's Latan in Pep's own team in Barcelona, twenty oh nine ten player systems mismatch I know that Messi and himself didn't get along at all which probably 
definitely influenced uh, Zlatan's brief tenure at Barcelona. But it has happened in the Pep system before. I read the book, yeah, he did, they didn't get on at all. But if you look at Pep last night, you're like, who is he aiming his vitriol here at? And it's worth looking back. I'm, I'm not saying it was necessarily Haaland, but Haaland was probably feeling, I've had a shit game here. Like, he had a 3 out of 10 game at best last night. And it who did, who did you think he was aiming at? Because he was dragging over, he was himself and Silva had a good long uh, mm. conversation. And Silva had a really good game. Yeah. It, it looked like he was. He's his. He's his like number go-to. one. Yeah, he, he, he was he's absolutely excellent game. My number one guy. Um, it doesn't end well for you, really. Though uh, the other thing is, you know, this is where's Cancelo? Mm. He's at Bayern. Mm. Like I think it was a very important little Jenga piece there, and um, whatever, whatever, flight of fancy slash <coughs> ego trip, the manager went on. And had a row with him. I was like, just put him in the team. You need I, him. I thought Gundogan didn't didn't have a great game, if that's worth anything. But mm. uh, I, I, I'm glad Man City aren't absolutely dominant. I, I generally want them to win nothing. And I, the Holland thing, the Holland thing now, as ridiculous as it sounds, is a little bit of a conundrum for him because when he's not inside the box, he does upset the system. As far as I as far as I can see, yeah, you think they'd be able to work it out? Yeah. They, no. It looked like they'd worked it out unbelievably well, but now it looks like teams are sort of working them out a, bit, a little bit. Because City haven't been great for the last couple of months. And in fairness, you, you've got to give a lot of credit to the rest of football for catching yes. up on this stuff as quickly as they're doing it. All right, here's what's coming up between now and 10 o'clock. Now, Graham Hunter's going to join us at 8. We'll preview Barcelona Manchester United tonight. We'll also talk about uh, Real Madrid and their greatness. James Tracy's going to join us to preview Ireland against Italy. Virtual Insanity with John Duggan at 8.40. Uh, Kathleen McNamee fresh from Marbella where it wasn't a great game between Ireland and China but the news broke afterwards we're playing against the States twice in April for a very intense camp and then Liam Hayes has been speaking with Joe we'll bring you some of that around about half past nine this morning uh, Ireland played China nil all draw yeah uh, m- multiple changes to the team new caps yeah yeah we watched it here in the office yesterday 1pm kickoff. so it was quite uh uh, a community spirit actually in the office watching the game but uh, the game was fairly dire like there was an absence of of any atmosphere at all but um, another positive for Ireland is another clean sheet that's six in a row now under Vera Pau the last time Ireland conceded a goal was the one all draw with Sweden last April and as you were saying there Ger, some debuts Aoife Mannion being the most notable at centre half alongside Louise Quinn who was waxing lyrical about her performance afterwards which was great and Kathleen was chatting with Aoife in the build up to the game she was Kathleen herself was excited at the prospect of Mannion's inclusion and uh, that paid dividends yesterday. She was definitely definitely stood out in what was, as I say, a pretty poor game. Vera Powell becoming sort of more Irish than the Irish themselves, like almost seven clean sheets in a row. Um, that's what we want. We want like a solid defensive base from which to work. Well, d- defensively, there's been no question about Ireland recently, and even in the Scotland performance, that was a counter-attacking display, mm. which was epitomised by the goal. But I suppose the one concerning trend was yesterday afterwards, Vera Powell was you know, quite positive about the performance, talking with Kathleen. But she said in the 10-day training camp that preceded this game, the emphasis was on attacking build-up and play and possession. And that was the one thing that was really absent from Ireland's performance. Now, it's a work in progress, look, and, and it's good that they have gone out of their way to actually improve that element of their game. But the, the positive is that the default setting set in for the defence and there was no goals conceded or very few chances conceded for that matter. The problem is a week and a half working on attacking play and it didn't really show like the biggest threat was for Megan Campbell's throw-ins. Yeah, there wasn't really a pattern of build-up. It improved slightly in the second half. There, of, of course, was a very harshly disallowed goal mm. in the hour mark, so Ireland could have easily won this I game. see how that was disallowed. Exactly. And like you're talking, China the 14th best team in the world, according to mm. the FIFA rankings and the Asian champions. So, good opposition. So, a really, really good structure with Ireland. Like all really good Irish teams of the past, good structure, good core, 
what we're lacking is a bit of inspiration. Is there a thing though, Ger, as well, if you play a game like that in an alien environment against a team, um, you know, from miles away, it's kind of like it's hard to get play your normal game. It just it's it's like almost like a behind closed doors game to an extent. Like I I think um, Dan was making that point as well that like it, you know there's no atmosphere here yeah. and when the games actually matter there will be an atmosphere because yeah. you know there'll be eighty thousand in the game against um, Australia. I I kind of feel like these games are largely irrelevant mm. in many ways. That the key relevance is you're getting new players into the squad who are improving the team. Um, I think we'll hear from Koigig a little bit later on they're making the point that they don't need any squad players now if you're going to join the squad if you're going to be grannied into the team or grandfathered into the team then uh, you need to be actually in the team as opposed to making up numbers and taking somebody's seat on the plane so I think that's happening um, it, it seems like Mannion is going to be in contention to start and then the other thing is like World Cup warm-up pre-season friendlies how many of them do we remember from any of the teams who were just in the Men's World Cup? How many of them do we remember from Ireland in 1990 or uh, 1994? There's one where we beat we beat Holland in Tilburg. Yeah, I remember. I remember. We we went away to Holland, Germany in those days, and yeah. we beat Holland two 0 Did we? I remember. Uh, we were very good. I was like, God, this is, a, and, and then the, it didn't. It just didn't matter. The only reason, that, exactly. The only reason, because ultimately, in the actual. Big match, they just turned us over really easily and yeah. packed you through one in. Um, I, I, but what was important was that the structure from that, we went to five in, in midfield. I think we beat them 1 0 in Tilburg, Tommy Coyne scored, and Tommy Coyne got in the team. So what's important is players are going to be getting in the team, but the results don't really yeah. matter. The patterns of play, definitely, it's, yeah. it's disappointing. But like, you know, is Katie McCabe really like at her absolute, I'm going to die in the field today? Yeah. Or, like is Denise Sullivan I'm going to die in the field today they're like I'm going to just make sure that I'm fit absolutely absolutely. Yeah. Oh, this game will get completely lost and forgotten about in the annals of time but now that we're the morning after the afternoon before you're analysing what you saw mm. and you're absolutely correct like the the result scoreline whatever is totally irrelevant but what you are looking for is some sort of pattern of play and Vera Powell said they have been working on that for a considerable period of time and there was no real evidence that it was successful mm. the training camp that's the only if you're, if you're being ultra harsh in a team but look, they looked a very solid card. They're going to be extremely difficult to beat at the very least. But like, we've been saying that for decades about Irish football. And it's time to move on from, oh, we're very hard to beat and like put them under pressure. It's not easy. Really not it's easy. Not it's easy, it's no. the most difficult thing to invent creativity. Stephen O'Donnell's line to the lock manager, the hardest thing in football is actually scoring a goal. And he's right. Like, well, Ireland can score goals, but it's, it's the build-up play is mm. what, what would concern me yeah. for modern football. So, look... It's, it's not the worst position to be in when we're talking about just improved attacking patterns. It's a good team. Vera Power has a seriously solid setup, but like you just want a bit more. That's all. Uh, 7.52 this morning. Flick off the swearing switch on Johnny Ward, says Brian. I don't think he actually swore, did you? I might have, yeah. I don't I have too, yeah. There was one or two I had in my mind, yeah. I missed yeah, it. It might have been a rhyme with Dirk Kite, maybe. But I did make the point yeah. there a few Fridays ago that the, uh, the swearing on the show had become concerning. It was pretty good for a while. I, but you were passionate. Yeah. You were passionate. And I'll allow a bit of room for passion. Because the, the VAR decision or non-decision did exercise you in a way that brought out 
Yeah, as I say, like I, I can, uh, I can take a beating, and if that never happened, I could, I would have agreed with my nanny states, Jer, who chastised me this morning and gave me every reason after the fact for this being a bad idea, um, but not when literally something as as, as ridiculous as that happens. That I can't no be back in Manchester City in the latter stages of the Champions League, away from home against superior, against supposedly inferior opposition. We have seen them go out season after season after season after season in just this game. You just can't. It doesn't. I'm, my brain is not compute. Who wins the Champions League, actually? Probably, you'd have to say, at this point. What Real Madrid. I mean, ah, look. Napoli. Well, mm. is there anything to be said against Napoli? They're 15 the points clear is, in Serie A. The problem is that Napoli will be the best team in the competition. They'll reach the final, and Real Madrid will oh, yeah. steal, pick their pockets, I know. slit their throats, and like... Oh, you go. I genuinely think they're going to get to the semi-final and that something like that will happen where they'll, they'll play against someone like Real Madrid. Can you imagine playing Real Madrid? This version of them must be so infuriating. You go 2-0 up against Madrid in a place like Anfield on a European night. Yeah, and Madrid are, like, uh, Madrid, Madrid are like, oh, whatever. You've no defence. Yeah. Oh, whatever. You've yeah. no defence. Your confidence is brittle. I think, I think Napoli's best chance against Real Madrid is over two legs, actually. As yeah, opposed to in Istanbul in the final, Naples, I Naples on a night like that. Well, I could see them having a great first leg against Madrid. Say if it's if it's in Naples, for example, and then the first half of the Bernabeu, would you get tickets and they for collapse? Would your collapse. football would your football guy be able to get his tickets for Napoli versus Real Madrid in Naples? Because if he can, we're going. The three of us. Uh, uh, well, you heard he, it here first. He can come if he wants. Are you in? Oh, if you want to come and you're going, you're always fine. Oh, you can come. You've no, never no, been no, to Naples. Fine. Didn't feel like the uh, passion was there for that. I mentioned my friend Nello, oh. who's now living in Dublin. Big, big uh, Napoli have fan. You been, have you been to Naples? I haven't been to Naples. I'd love to go, yeah. I haven't been to the south of Italy, really. Um, but yeah, so you want... I would love to. If, we, if I can get three tickets... You're in, Colm. You're allowed. Who's paying oh, no, for the flights no. and all that? Well, we're paying for our own flights, Johnny. <laughs> you pay for us. Welcome to Off the Ball. It'd be nice. I mean, this would be a nice gesture. Didn't realise it was a work thing. That's okay. All right. Team bonding. Okay. For all the hard work. Um, yeah, so it has to be. What was Woo. I? Yeah, okay. Let me leave that with me. Um, we should ask Graham about Kavicha, uh, Kavaskalia, the Georgian superstar playmaker. Kvaradana. He's about to come on the line here, Graham, and I'm very excited to talk about this guy. We were talking about a pre show, myself and Johnny. Haven't seen much of this guy, but the bits I've seen looks fairly extraordinary. And his assist for the second goal against Eintracht Frankfurt the other night in Napoli's 2-0 win in Germany was extraordinary. It would make Guti blush. Oh. The little turn and swivel and then back it all in one motion. Oof. This guy's oh, extraordinary. How have I not seen this? And he's only he a young fella. Me, yeah. uh, you should, I, I would actually advise you, even during the break there or whatever, just watching the assist. It'll take you five seconds, has, but it will add to your life. Has either of you been to Tbilisi? No. No. Oh, man. Like, Ligan has. He tells me all about it. Oh, I was there twice, and for the nil-all draw the last day, um, I, <laughs> I, I lost my contact lenses or something, so I couldn't actually see the game, which didn't matter at all, as it turned out, because it was one of the worst games ever. But Tbilisi, what a cool city! Like it, it's it's like nowhere I'd ever been before. Such a cool city. Maybe Georgia has a new hero as well. There you go. It turns out they do. Right. It is seven fifty-six. If you want to get in touch with us, we'd love to hear from you. OTBAM is live each morning with Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. I'm delighted to say Graham Hunter is with us this morning. Graham, good morning to you. Morning, gentlemen. We're getting a little bit excited about Cavaradona, so we may as well start there. Um, you've seen a good bit of Napoli this year, I think. Uh, how good is this kid? Yeah. Listen, I think when you're talking about a team which hasn't won Serie A for a couple of generations and they're about to because have paid off on them already. And if you look across their team, Chair, um, there aren't that many outright standout players except for this Georgian, uh, Kvica. Um I interviewed uh, Gio Simeone recently 
their striker who's been so prolific, Cholo Simeone San, who's been prolific in the Champions League, scored against Liverpool, uh, Reds fans will remember. And he talked about um, the precision of delivery um, from, from Kvica. And that if you make a run, you'll get the ball. Um, he's a guy who has traditionally for Napoli played on the left. He's predominantly right-footed. But one of the <clears throat> beautiful things is that in this modern idea of the inverted winger who comes off his wing onto his better foot, uh, Kvica can also really use his left foot. So if you watch him in the dribble, so I didn't catch all of what you were saying before. Um, it was riveting, but, Graham. Absolutely riveting. The, the, but the boy, the boy's stunning. That so I caught the end of you saying, you know, go, um, go and watch his assist and go and get a ticket to watch Napoli if you possibly can wherever they're playing. You missed that because Jared has actually invited the three of us to go to watch a Napoli in the Champions League. Well, so, I, I, Johnny, 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 listen, be really, really careful now about invited or we'll pay for you. Well, this, you this was also clarified. It was the former. Your, your inner Trust. journalist coming out there, Graham. It's friendly advice. Just try to pin him down before you travel, if it's possible. <laughs> the, the, the reason to go see him is that he does everything. He's their principal penalty taker. He takes set plays. He takes the corners. Um, on the counter-attack, he's absolutely dazzling because he's got a good dribble and, and he'll use both feet then. But if he's asked, and this is the thing that I really like about the, his, how he differs from, say, Rafinha, who we'll go on to talk about, who's one-footed. You saw it at Leeds. It's still the case at, at Barcelona. Whereas if Kvitscha is asked to go on to go outside of fullback onto his left back, he's got a nice little dink to cross in general. That There is no question that his right foot is the powerful one. But also, Napoli, particularly under this coach, like the idea that became... Maybe it's been used for generations, but I watched Pep Guardiola talk about overload one side and then a quick switch to the other side and see if the team's exposed. And this Georgian winger has, is very, very good at drawing a magnet of players towards him, stopping and then smashing the ball full across the pitch onto a teammate's, particularly the overlapping right back, onto a teammate's foot. So um, watching him at this age, it, it isn't simply that he's he's a talent. To be uh, this complete in all the facets of his play at 22 is is something pretty special. It's just we don't often at the end of these little segments talk about how just how enjoyable it is to watch him. Great. Am I wrong in this now? But when he was with Kazan, did the Russian invasion sort of accelerate a move away from Russian football or, or am I off the charts here? No, I think that um, there are a lot of clubs where um, Chiganov is, is at Girona now from Dinamo Kiev. And there are a lot of players, I think, who are benefiting their clubs by, by going for decent fees. If I was to talk about Kvitsa's motivation for, for leaving, it would be unfair to me. When you're talking about a war situation, to, I don't know his mentality about that. And, I, and, and, you know, it would be unfair to me to comment it. But if you look at the clubs um, over there, there there's um, definitely a, um, a need to cash in on assets now. And unfortunately, asset stripping will continue, I think. Um, the success that Napoli are having at the moment we, we'd love to see it be sustainable we'd love to see them keep that team together but that's not really how football works so what's your what's your instinct about how how long the lifespan of this might be? I think 
one of the principal things would be about wages because if you've been and, and I think you guys have if you've been in and around Naples as a city when the football team is exciting or successful it's you feel like you're the king of all you survey I remember um, talking to Pocho Lavezzi um, ex-PSG Argentine international player who talked about Napoli, whereby, you know, he lived in a, in a house that led the garden down to the Mediterranean. And people would charter boats to come and sit at the bottom of his garden. Like, I mean, a fleet of boats would come just because he was a, an adored Napoli player. And he went out to buy shoes one day. And totally unannounced, I hadn't been nicking around town, but got into the, the shoe shop, shoe, shoe boutique, sorry, not shop, what am I thinking of? And he said, within about 10 minutes, a mob, had, word had spread, a mob had gathered, and, and it was impossible for him to, to leave the, the shoe boutique because of the, the doting masses who were out there, and the cops had to be called. Now, for some players, <clears throat> that can be asphyxiating, but when they win this title, right across the world, there'll be focus upon you, you'll be feted in that city, you'll never have to buy another shoe, or a drink, or a pizza, or whatever, and... While I don't quite think that Napoli have it to win the Champions League this season, um, I think that after last night's result, or Tuesday's, was it Tuesday's result? I think they're going through. Um, uh, to, so to be powerful in Europe, to be a tight-knit unit, to be adored, the title win will have a huge effect on these footballers. And therefore, it'll be about... And I don't know that Napoli need to cash in maybe more than once. It'll be about other clubs being able to pay them better wages. And I suspect that if there's a will from Napoli's owners to keep the majority of these players, if there is, then for another season we might see this block kept together again because they will feel like they are gods from heaven by the end of this season. Well, that'll be really exciting as a, as a football project. Um, you mentioned the, the potential for them to win. The Real Madrid performance the other night has been one of the standout performances that we've seen from them. We were talking in the aftermath of them winning the World Club Championship that the league form hadn't been great, but yet, you know, this is the competition they come alive in and lo and behold, 2-0 down at Anfield is the moment they all felt alive. Um, that was as good a performance as we've seen from them, and yet there's still room for for improvement. Yeah, is there? Well, maybe if the goalkeeper doesn't throw it out to the opposition for a, one mistake, a two 0 lead. Paris last season, I think that's that's a one mistake night, and he explained it quite nicely because Courtois had it in his mind that he wanted to move the ball onto his right. He said that Salah stopped, so he thought he had time. And then his knobbly knee got in the way. Yeah, look, I think when we talked about after the World Championship, I, I said, play the Jaws the, play the Jaws theme, because they're coming. And I said that not because I'm prescient, but because you learn to trust Carlo Ancelotti. Ancelotti tells us so much that's exactly a snapshot of what's happening on the training ground. He'll tell you who's in form, he'll tell you who he likes, he'll tell you, he'll tell you exactly who's maybe needs to follow his orders a bit more closely. He'll tell you players' positions. So, was, for example, Kamavinga was deputising for Mondi at left back, playing very, very well. This 20-year-old World Cup finalist who's abundantly talented. And he said, no, 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 no. I'll put Alaba back there instead of Alaba at left centre-back um, because Kamavinga, when he's fit, is my pivot. Now, Chomeni is out at the moment, but Chomeni's been the pivot. Mm. So, 
to say I'll have Camavinga back in midfield would have been the standard answer by any manager and and you like no he's my pivot and that's where he played against Liverpool and when Ancelotti saw that Liverpool's willingness and physical ability to play very high um, meant that Modric and Valverde were too uh, deep and too wide of Camavinga he adjusted that made them play inside tight to him so they were really tight three as Vinicius and Rodrigo dropped back to make it a, a five when they were defending and Camavinga shot on um, eventually having looked a little bit exposed in those first, first 15 minutes because of the manager's tactics but the thing about Ancelotti is he's been saying for I would say three and a half weeks now we're, 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 we're coming we're fit we're powerful it's to do with Antonio Pintus the fitness trainer they, they during the World Cup they looked at the schedule once the, the La Liga and European and the Worlds all recommenced they knew, and, and again, Ancelotti said this to us in a press conference, we will have no days off, no rest between January and April. So what they did was, for anybody who was left behind, which was few, and then those who came back gradually, Antonio Pintus, the Italian fitness trainer who's been tied to Ancelotti since his Chelsea days, um, w- w- they, they worked them. They worked them so hard that, and they and again until they announced there will be a drop. We we will look um, sluggish and tired. And in the Spanish Super Cup final against Barcelona, Xavi knew that they went after Madrid. Madrid couldn't cope with the press, and they were taken apart three one. And from the moment that Ancelotti believed that he could see that the fitness process had had dug in and that tiredness was decreasing and that the stamina and the resilience was on the rise, he said, "We're on the march," and he has been. Don't get me wrong, if you'd asked me pre-match, will they go two down and then score five? Mm. I wouldn't be able to predict that for a second. But I've been saying for a few weeks now, look out, Real Madrid are coming. We saw that at Anfield. And another thing that, for my taste, hasn't been commented on enough was they were, as a group, the subs on the bench, the manager, the players on the pitch, were completely unflustered to be 2-0 down. Oh, that, yeah. that, that, that comes through Ancelotti as well. It's like, so he's, he's a pensioner next year, Graeme. Um, must be the coolest dude in football at this stage, the way he's able to handle. this. Is, I'm just looking up. This is his 12th managerial role, if you include Italy as an assistant, when it started. Um, and he still has a cigar in his mouth. And some of his key players are veterans themselves. And as you mentioned, you look at the body language even of Man City last night at the end. Look at the body language of Liverpool. And look at the body language of Real Madrid's bench. Yeah, Tony, it's it's a magic cocktail, isn't it? If you're Ancelotti and your premium skill is managing a group and being the player whisperer, he got his tactics right and he stuck to them on Tuesday, irrespective of being initially buffeted by a tempest. Now, he retouched them, but he said... You know, they'd watched the Newcastle game, and I thought it was fascinating to hear Klopp. I mean, Johnny, I'll come back to what you said. Klopp pre-match said, I wish Newcastle had kept 11 on the pitch because we dropped our intensity. Klopp knew, as I suspect Ancelotti and his scouts knew, that Liverpool were on the rise, but not yet complete. Their, their Gakpo was very young and inexperienced. There's Basetovic, uh, Basetic, uh, young and inexperienced. Henderson, a little bit lacking in, in energy. The two fullbacks unrecognisable from the players who would bomb up and down and cause havoc. 
I know, no, 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 no. And Ancelotti went, I bet that we're that we will that we'll have more intensity and that we will last longer than them. If we weather whatever storm it is, then we'll be fine. So we'll play three up. Now those Rodrigo and Vinicius work both midfield and attack, but instead of going four midfielders, you went three up, four, three, three, whenever possible. And it worked. So the magic cocktail I'm talking about is that Ancelotti is is tactically astute, but he is in none of his positions best known for supreme tactical acuity. It's about taking a group of footballers who are brilliant, where there are massive egos, potentially different interest groups, certainly different um, ages, different nationalities, and making them a whole, blending them. So for him, the, the fact that he is so extraordinary at getting players to not just to give their best, but to give extra for him, the relationships he builds, right across, and not just now, are genuinely extraordinary. And some of that came out to Anfield. He did. He knew which players he didn't have to worry about. He knew which players he had to talk through the experience a little bit. But also, if, if when you when these players finally in autobiographies or long retrospectives tell the story of their careers and talk about Anfield, they will talk about not letting him down. There's a really good book in uh, part of his book, Quiet Management, uh, Johnny, with John Terry talks about working for Ancelotti. He said, it's rare that I've seen one man who can lift the entire group and get them to run through walls for him. It, Terry also said, it's rare that I've seen so many players who, who will not will play when they shouldn't be. They'll take an injection to play when they shouldn't be and they'll do it for Carlo. Now, I think we all grew up with more of that type, man-managers, who had a coach next to them who did the, the daily training and were tactically acute. But but that that figure of Ancelotti, the one that can communicate with the, the multi-millionaires and make them want more, that's very precious. And I think it's the key element of what's happening at Madrid right now. I don't know if you heard Ger on Saturday. I thought Kevin Doyle is fascinating where he just feels that the Liverpool players are just tired of the same message for so long. And obviously their energy is gone, but um, it, it's, this collapse is just, I can't get my head around it. Yeah, I don't know. Is it just tired of the same message? I think it's like a. I look physically tired as well. Multifactorial. Yeah. Uh, like the injuries took away a bit of the confidence, and then the the drop in form of some players, the age profile of, of others, that hollowed out. There's, there's no midfielders at the peak of their powers at the moment. And we look at Salah and Henderson compared to, say, Modric and Benzema, who are a lot older than them. Salah and Benderson and Henderson have just, they've dropped off. Their legs are not what they were. It would seem to me. Yes, I'd love to see the stats on the. Um, it's a team. It's a, it's a, it's a, across what's happened prior to the Real Madrid match. You know, I, I think that the, the the drop off has been far more precarious, far more worrying than when it happened on Tuesday. Tuesday's a blip. You've got um, Vicetic, um who's eighteen and has no experience of that whatsoever. Gakpo might have scored a couple of goals, but he's completely new to the club. Van Dijk is only just finding form and fitness again. They're still badly missing Diaz. Last season, went to the Champions League final. It's a hard fact that Villarreal, who at the moment are struggling to qualify for Europe, and who at that stage were were very much not expected to get that far. It took Liverpool a long time to shake Villarreal off. So we we aren't. Listen, I'm sorry, I didn't I didn't listen to the Saturday interview, and I'm not in any way opposing it. But I, if just because the you know the snowdrops have been trampled upon doesn't mean that spring isn't coming at Liverpool. They had if you watched the Newcastle game, you know once they were two 0 up and both of those goals were kind of thrown at them and then Pope gets sent off. 
there was a dip that Klopp was right. I watched the entire match. There was a dip of just that aggression and intensity. And at the moment, they're they're being rebuilt. They're already. We don't need to call them a squad in transition by the summer. It's happening now. That there was the trouble about you know are the owners staying or going. There's been a massive revamp in in the department, which has been their engine about how they buy and sell. There's huge transition going on there that affects the players' belief, their mentality, and 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 if so, if some of them, like you pointed out, are a little tired of the or it's just the same old message from Klopp. Yeah, maybe, but it's, it was fascinating again to take it back to Ancelotti and his book. Um, Preparisca La Copa when he left Real Madrid the first time he was on the list for Liverpool and he said I, I was flattered but not disappointed when I lost out to Klopp so back then when Klopp took over Ancelotti wrote with him they'll be successful so this is at the beginning of Klopp's reign at, at, at Liverpool he said and with them it won't be looking at whether the system is right it's, it will be looking at whether that intensity of how we played at Dortmund can last two seasons or three seasons, and and then how do you maintain it or renew it? Yeah. So it's quite perspicacious written as Klopp moved from Dortmund to Liverpool. I think what we're seeing now, the, the little miracle is that it's lasted this long. Can I ask you about Manchester City last night then and um, what your assessment was of, of their performance? We've obviously talked about the handball at the end, but notwithstanding that, you know... Uh, what 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 is an, uh, a level of expectation for the performance and the integration of Haaland in these games, and also for just the style of City at the moment in these matches away from home, where they're supposed to be dominant and they just can't quite reach the same level that we've seen them do in the Premier League? Are we expecting too much from them? I was at Leipzig um, twice this season, home and away against Real Madrid. They beat Real Madrid and, and were pretty handy in the second leg, and in the first leg. It took an extraordinary performance in the last 20 minutes for Real Madrid to beat them. And in my opinion, please believe me, this is not either partisan or lazy, but my opinion is, is, Pep's, is Pep's opinion. They have a, a squad whereby for some months now there have there's been a disparity between what Pep wants them to be like, what they are often like in recent seasons, and how they're actually playing. My opinion is that it was that it filtered out around the training ground at the end of the World Cup that Pep was very strongly considering taking the Brazil job. He didn't. He renewed. But I think that that can rub an edge of people's respect and hunger. I'll tell you... How can I phrase this carefully and not get in trouble? There, there are a group of players at City who feel a little bit as if there are two or three favourites, two or three pet favourites. It's the first time in that dressing room where I've felt that there are a few players who kind of look up at their boss and think, I'm not getting a fair rub of the green here. And I think that was associated with the fact that in his head, Pep was turning over and over and over again, do I stay or do I take the Brazil job? Now, I think small things like that lead us, I think this has been quite a holistic conversation, small things like that lead us back to the way that Ancelotti keeps a squad for a, a significant amount of time in the palm of his hand, and then when they get tired, he moves on, he moves much more quickly. You know, his periods at clubs tend to be, you know, two years, three years. And, and, and at City last night, I watched a side which is looking for its patterns of play again 
a side which has been on the road a lot recently, a side which tired in the second half, a side where Leipzig got a telling, a really strong telling to play higher up the pitch, to press. To, there was a correspondence between how Leipzig played second half against City to how Manchester United played at Camp Nou. Get on them, don't give them time to think, pressurise them into mistakes, and then when they make the mistakes, power at the goal. Leipzig up the gears, Manchester City didn't have a response, and therefore overall the fact that they were in the game came strong in the last 15 minutes. It's anecdotal, they should have had a penalty. That would, like you say, that wouldn't have changed the pattern of the way in which from first half domination when they didn't well, kill the game. changed the pattern of my half. bank account in fairness, but anyway. <laughs> I had 3 nil, did you? I had to back Man City to win the game, but I, I, I agree. The, un, the only thing is, Graeme, when, when it was one all, Man City then started to completely reassert. So I get what you're saying, Leipzig were far better in the second half. But like, how much was that City just like, I, I, what frustrated me was Pep did nothing to change what was clearly a, a pattern of, of, of their dominance being way, on the way in the second half. Except that, you know, right, I, I don't want, I can't explain why he made no subs. Don't know. He said he thought everything was fine. By the last 15 minutes, I thought they were right back in it again. I thought that they, they took a, you know, a flurry of blows to the chin for about half an hour. And then his idea to keep everybody on, well, odd, I'll, I'll grant you. I don't think that lost them the game. I think that, you know, finishing or a better penultimate or pre-penultimate pass in the first half made a big difference in my opinion I think they could have defended 2-0, 3-0 I, 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 my opinion Johnny about where your money went is that you know their best suit and their best shirt is a little bit wrinkled and they're engaged in ironing right now and if, for my opinion it will click and the, the Harland you could be body language super annoyed and sulky about when he gets the ball and when the team's not playing well, when he's not scoring, the fact that he cannot do what, what he did at Dortmund, which is drop back into midfield, demand the ball, instantly be given it, it's a factor I first saw when I was, um, when when Larson, Henrik Larson, changed teams from Celtic to Barcelona and came to Barcelona expecting that when he moved, like at Celtic, he'd be given the ball because I'm Henrik and I resolve games. And Haaland, when things aren't clicking, is like, well, just I'm here, drop, give me the ball and I'll run. And, and and he was back in the Bundesliga effectively last night. And that's not permitted. That's not how players give you the ball at Manchester City. So there was a disconnect. And, and the less Howland got the ball, the more he dropped into positions. Just give me it and I'll sort this out. Now, that's for the coach to work out on the training ground. I wish I knew what Pep Guardiola said to them all at the end when he when he did a, who was your Phil Brown or whatever it was at home. Times are a little bit odd. Times are a little bit odd. I still think they'll be England's champions. And if they if they click, they're in the running to be European champions too. Yeah, it's going to be difficult for them. And I think Haaland was also feeling um, he he had Guardiola in his head, whereas I, I can't drop this far back because I'm I, I'm going to get chastised here. So he was <laughs> sort of uh, in between a rock and a hard place, but he certainly wasn't getting the ball. Um, no. I, look, we're almost completely out of time. I, the, yeah. I, I, the the game tonight for Barcelona, they've got bigger fish to fry, right? The the league is the be all and end all. If Xavi wins the league this year, then it's his arrival as a manager who's won La Liga. Yeah. This match is still important along the way. Is it possible that he can give the hundred and forty five percent they need to? No, you ask them to. You ask them. You're right about what you've said, but this this bears no real relationship to the title race. They're away to Almeria at the weekend. They should win. Um, they'll have Gavi back. 
Um, Ferran Torres, they'll play 4-3-3 at the weekend. Ferran Torres will start. It, 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 I, you're right in, in their pro, what their priorities are, Chair, but do not believe that they'll think secretly tonight, listen, if we go out, it doesn't matter. It does. They will treat it as horror if they go out. How they go through, I'd like you boys to phone me after the show and tell me. There we go. It's odds against it. You look confused there, Jar. I'm saying that miracles happen in football. Barcelona are not rotten, but just about everything that could be piled against them is piled against nope. them tonight. I'm unsure about how they win. So no you, more think, you think Manchester United are going to go through? Tonight, I do. I think that, that what we saw last week with with um, Pedro and Gabi and the teams until Pedro injured, Manchester United so relentless. I thought it was Manchester United's best performance of the season. They were so relentless in asking players, can you think and pass and move at twice or three times the speed you're asked to do in La Liga? And across mm, two-thirds of the game, the answer was no. And it should be like that again tonight. Lewandowski won't go sprinting away and score a breakaway goal. So how does it happen? I'm not sure. There'll be a better back four for Barcelona. I think United might be asked a little bit more questions in, in the space that they're given. But boy, I see it as extremely difficult for Barcelona, Joe. All right. Should be a great game. Graham, thanks a million. Cheers, lads. That was really fascinating stuff there from Graham this morning about loads of different parts of world football. Up next, former Leicester and Ireland hooker James Tracy joins us in the studio. OTB AM. Join me, Stephen Doyle, for this Sunday's London derby clash between Tottenham and Chelsea in the Premier League. What a blistering start! Yeah, no, it's massive. Uh, we knew it was going to be a tough game. We need to clear our heads and we need to start to prepare for Tottenham. It kicks off at the slightly earlier time of half one. And Reese James fires a rocket into the back of the net and Chelsea's dominance is now demonstrated. The build-up to our full live exclusive commentary starts from one o'clock on Off the Ball this Sunday. All right, it's uh, 24 minutes past eight. I'm delighted to say James Tracy, former Leinster and Ireland hooker, is with us to talk to us about this game at the weekend. Um, the, a team has been leaked to the papers, so we expect it to be the team because they've been very accurate recently with the teams. And um, when last you were in, you had Ronan Keller slightly ahead of Sheehan. They're both fit. Keller gets the nod. Is this, is this a, uh, are we to read anything into this? Or is this just selection purely for the Italy game, do you think? Uh, no, I wouldn't read anything into it. I think uh, I said as well, it's Dan's, definitely Dan's jersey at the minute. Um, but it's just an opportunity because there's so little between them. I'd say it's an opportunity to give Ron a game time and a fair opportunity to see, you know, who, who is going to be the, the number one going forward. Obviously, there should have been a red card for the challenge on Rob Herring, and he goes off with the HIA, and that's terrible. And there's massive fallout from that for loads of different reasons. But like uh, ancillary benefit was Keller ends up playing way more, I think, than they anticipated, and he was pretty good again. Yeah, I'd like as I said, he's like you got two Rolls Royces of uh, of hookers there, so um, it's a good time for for Irish rugby, especially in the front row. Is he fully fit? Coming back into that, like, is he puffing after 10, 15 minutes? Going, Jesus, I just, you know, could have done with fifteen minutes as opposed to fifty minutes here. Or is is his conditioning like? They, are they risking him if he's not ready for the fifty minutes? How does that work? So I can I speak for myself in saying that you're. It takes probably maybe two or three games, okay, uh, to get match fit again. You know, you can do all of the S and C stuff you you want, but. It, it's real minutes in in battle that kind of get you battle hardened. Um, now he didn't he didn't look like he was too phased, but um, maybe on the inside he was dying a bit. Uh, there's just it's just you can't replicate like scrums into running and then rucks and getting off the ground and tackling and just yeah. The other thing is, of course, um, that the ball is in play for longer and longer and longer as the rules change and Ireland want to keep the ball in play longer and longer and longer yeah. and so. 
um, what he might have anticipated two or three seasons ago being a 38-minute game is suddenly a 48-minute game and you're like, oh my God. Yeah, exactly. And, and we'd be well used to that with uh, with Stuart. Luckily, that's kind of uh, what we try to do is, you know, keep the ball, um, keep the ball moving and, and try use that to our advantage and, and be fit um, and, and like play a good brand of rugby as well I think it's another important side of things One of the questions we, we used to do Friday Night Racing with um, the, the top racehorse trainers was how often do you get them the horses to do the actual thing they're going to be doing and they were like almost never you, you get them to a level of fitness and then you just let the last bit be there in the tank for them because you, you don't uh, extend them to that level like do you train for 48 minutes of ball in play so that when the game is in or how close to that full level of physical exertion do you ever get that is not on match day so there'd be a lot of like science and thought put into um to be parameters of certain amount of like high speed meters and meters covered and this is your gps yeah exactly yeah and then uh, the parameters would be done off of your top speed so say it a percentage of that would be high speed meters you know whether it be like actually 70 or 60 I'm not sure but um, they'd over time they would have built like thresholds and then at least then they can monitor your uh, your level of exposure in that week and then manage your load that way and time on feet but there's actually different ways of doing it like each province would have um, you know a certain amount of time on feet and it could vary like a decent bit you know different coaching styles different ways of training so it's not standardised across four provinces I always there assumed. is standard there is standardised um, like the majority of stuff is standardised but, still but the time on feet right. uh, might be different for, for training times that might mean the, the metres might be you know similar enough but the time on feet out there might be like pretty vast uh, how lucky are they to have had the fortnights off since the French game because it did look like one of the toughest physical exertions that these players will almost ever have and, and that the ball was in play so much and just how obviously combative the whole French uh, team was. Uh, yeah, I think any like any kind of like top maybe six sides, if you can get a, an extra week, an extra few days in, makes a huge difference. Yeah. One, the, the emotional dump of you getting yourself up for that huge game mm. and then it's the physical side of things. Like You're not right for two days really after after a game like that especially in the forwards anyway mm. maybe some of the backs might be okay after mm. after a day and a half um, but I know definitely front row you're, you're not you're not well for, for two days you're not you're, well well, well yeah. that's not right but like yeah, no, you're just not me, back though. you're not back normal or not flying or on all cylinders and you just as I said you get yourself up emotionally uh, to a level and it just you're just exhausted what do you like on say the Sunday morning like you know you know the way like Jared, like to you and I if we do exercise at our age now after a special of not doing anything you wake up and you can barely get down the stairs yeah. um, what do you like as a, the peak of your profession coming out of a game like that on Sunday morning yeah just sore yeah. tired Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't sleep really after a game again you're running on adrenaline for uh, for so long during it uh, that it, it, you kind of between just being bumped and bruised and, and coming off kind of that adrenaline high that you're you wouldn't sleep that well um, so you're just kind of waking up sore uh, there's kind of feeling of, of, of satisfaction though of, of job well done if you've, if you've won the game and then there's a hangover of kind of uh, like the the Sunday scaries when you're hungover it's like that fear of like the review on, on the the Monday morning um, if you've lost or you play badly but um, I have to say like there is there's a it's a very good feeling when you when you've you've won a really hard fought game 
and you know you're a bit sore but you kind of have that giddy feeling of getting back together on, on the Monday morning um, but yeah it's uh, it's good and bad depending yeah. if you if you win or lose I had a question about this, the squads right so um, if you're in an Ireland squad at the moment and you get released back in the middle of it to play in um, the URC as it is now what's your mindset for that is it like screw you I'm going to play the greatest game of my life this weekend or is it like okay this doesn't look good for me how do you manage that depends where you sit in the squad really I think if you feel you know aggrieved that you you know you feel like you should be starting then you know it's it's the latter what you said but uh if you're kind of on on the outskirts um and you know you're you're just you know to put it in holding the tackling bag for for most of the week uh you know you you want to get back and play rugby again so there's kind of two sides of the coin um but yeah it, it would depend on circumstance i'd say how would Joey Carberry feel last weekend uh, well, I'd say, in fairness to Joey, he, he's he's now he's been on, he's on the, on the outside originally, so he's coming in to prove a point. That's that's where he's coming now. He's mm. coming into camp to to prove a point and and playing every time he plays for months now. He's, he's proven a point, so um, I feel like that that'd be his motivation. Uh, don't obviously speak for him, but you know, if you've any sort of setback, you know, it, it ignites something in you. You know, to be. You know, he'd show how good how good you are and and prove yourself again. Big week for him in training, then, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Like he's, yeah, he's every rep is important, go, you know. Yeah. Uh, and and I think as a young player, um, you don't realise the the importance of of not making mistakes and and having big moments in training. And I think like he'd know the importance of that through the experience he has and known going into every session that you, you got to show up and yeah. you, you got to be good. It was a bit of a jolt, I think, when he he ended up not being in the squad, but it's kind of what the squad needs as well in a way like it's bad for him on a personal level but the rest of the squad is going ooh if I don't actually uh, make every single rep count then I could be him so it's because it, it looked like we were just kind of in this everything everybody knows exactly like largely you've picked a team first and we'll get to it in a second it's not a million miles away from the team that the coaches seem to have given the, the journalists so the expectation is we <laughs> kind of know everything at this stage but something like that is like oh he was kind of penciled in we knew that he was always going to be there and then he's not and it's like shit this could happen to me yeah and how good that uh, you know you get a, a reinvigorated not that he, he didn't have motivation but you have him unbelievably hungry and, and you know some people channel in different ways some people you know they, they, they get pissed off and they use that as their energy or they just want to show everyone um, how good they are but like look at Ross Byrne you know he, he's been an unbelievable performer for for Leinster for I don't know how long um, on the outside and he just plugged away did, doing his job um, and he, he's been he's been phenomenal since he's gotten the opportunity so let's look at the teams right so um, I think we have a graphic of your team I'll, I'll read it out for our podcast listeners you've got Porter Kelleher and Bealham in your front row with Henderson coming in at four James Ryan captain of the team at five it's Conan Josh Reiner Fleer at seven and you've got Doris at eight I think it's going to be flipped around in, yeah. in the team that's been um, in the papers anyway Casey and Byrne 9 and 10 that's that's what they're going for it looks like uh, your team has Lowe, Hansen and Keenan as the back three with McCluskey keeping his place and Ringrose uh, starting and then on the bench you've got Sheehan and it's Treadwell slash Baird looks like Baird might get the nod with Amani on the bench Murray Crowley importantly is the number 10 backup and uh, you've got Bundy on the bench but it looks like Bundy's going to start in the team that's been leaked so you were pretty close 
Yeah, not too far off. Uh, I actually had uh, Baird in six, my original. Oh, and sorry, okay. And Cohen in eight. Right. It's my first draft to write it down. I'm looking there, I've been like, I'm missing someone. Uh, potentially player of the tournament, uh, <laughs> missing out on my team here. I didn't even have him on the bench. I just completely forgotten about him. I was like, uh, so... Wipe so this from your CD for yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, never yeah, happened. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> I was like, there's something missing. Um, yeah, so anyway, I, I think Caelan will be... Too much unseen work from Caelan. Yeah, to be a bit flashy. Well, yeah, exactly. No, I think he, he will be... He, I'll tip him now for, for player of the tournament. But um, yeah, I think... Uh, He's both of them have kind of interchanged between six and eight uh, for Leinster before to kind of fit them into that back row. Uh, the reason I have him as eight in my one was just that it's kind of like his jersey at the minute. It doesn't it's making a material difference really. They're both good in the line out. Um, does can, it change their role in any way? Yeah, it does in the line out. Right. Uh, it would, um, and it would change the role off of uh, defensive line out off of scrum. Um, it, it would just there's just different kind of roles and responsibility and responsibility exactly yeah. and uh, is it better that they're interchangeable or is it better that they know I'm six today and I'm just going to do the six thing so it's actually for so for the the back rows who can play across the back row it's a bit of a disaster in game week because they have to learn three roles uh, instead of learning one you know hooker yeah you have a lot of responsibility um, but you know you got one role and that's all you can do really unless you're like Dan Gene, you probably put on the wing, but um, yeah, the the back rows, it's a disaster. Their notebooks are twice as big as everyone else's because they have to learn all the different line-out calls, all the different defensive calls from right. all the different positions as well as the plays. So their uh, their week would be a little bit longer than everyone else. But on, 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 like from the interchangeable point of view, they, have, they do it all the time, so it wouldn't be a material difference. But I think the... The natural one is probably what's here because Caelan's probably played a bit more six than uh, than Jack. But um, as I said, I just kind of had it there because he's it's, he's been so good. I just leave him at eight. You've got um, Casey and Byrne at nine and ten. Yeah. And um, at one stage, it looked like Casey was slightly ahead of Murray in the Munster pecking order. And then obviously Murray has had a, an incredible start to the tournament. So um, this this isn't in any way a significant step down. And we kind of expected this. At the same time, it's too inexperienced at nine and ten away from home in the Six Nations. So it's a proper challenge for them. Yeah. So and my, my reason for starting Casey, I would have Murray is definitely like hands down. Uh, you know, probably Jamison, then Murray, but Murray's been like phenomenal. But I'd have him as as my number two. But I just thought for for this sort of game, um, I think you know whoever you have, Casey like deserves a run. Um, a, a start in this game and then at least you have a really good experience coming off the bench with Crowley like it's nice to, to pair up uh, the the experience with the, with the guy who's had less exposure at that level especially if they're from the same club so I think that was kind of my reason for not having Murray starting with uh, yeah. with Berm because the obvious thing would be to get their partnership going um, but I think one case deserves a go and then two it probably makes sense having uh the Crowley kind of Murray off the bench we also kind of think of Ross Byrne as inexperienced somewhat yeah. but he's not really no no I think like you look at he's played in all of the the big European games for Leinster he's been pivotal in so many where um, we, we've been unfortunate to kind of lose Johnny early or he's been injured and like again it's seamless kind of step in he's had huge kicks to win his games he's he's very very calm under pressure and 
be sure he's going to do a good job. How much job. of it is on him, though, then in the game, like as, as a quarterback to make up his own mind, or how much of it is like stick to the system here, you know, stick to sort of what we're saying and almost like don't make a fool of yourself, like, do you know what I mean? Like, or is he confident enough to say, no, I'm going to actually put my stamp on this? Well, it'll all be kind of decided during the week, um, you know, what what's going to be our game plan versus like the type of defence you're playing against. So each team will have a certain way of doing things. Like not too dissimilar to football, where you have like a formation of 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 how you set up. Some teams will have their backfield. You know, they might only have one in the backfield, mm-hmm. which means you know, as much as say you want to run the ball, maybe it's attacking kicks is the way you pin them back, have them second guessing, and and that's how you punish them. Uh, other teams they might have two in the backfield, and and you might be very hard at poaching the ball. So you got to play a different way against them, and other teams might not want to poach the ball at all. Mm-hmm. So you know, you, you got you, it, it depends how they set up it'll be radically different to the France game yeah 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 it will be um, I think the the fact that like Italy will, cl- will close the wings will close quite early so I think there might be opportunities for, for cross field kicks or, or kicks in behind there but at the same time uh, I think the last time we played them in the Aviva uh, I remember watching now I don't know if, if this was what he was doing but I think Joey showed the cross field kick a lot, a lot of times and didn't and they kind of that winger then stepped out and then we t- we attacked that that space in, in between outside 13 and again that's completely my analysis well, on it well, I don't know if that is exactly well, what you was. saw Finn Russell in the Welsh game for example like this is like as good a kick and maybe as you will see in terms of will will burn like look look to a lot of that and what's his what where, where does he rank out of 10 in terms of that game uh, det- or taking Kick, kicking like. oh yeah crossfield kick I think uh you know, you you look at uh, Jack in in Connacht, uh, Ross, Johnny. You'd probably be like the three best like crossfield kickers, I think, in Ireland anyway. And um, that's just like a, a repertoire in their game. And I just, for a winger, I could say it's a disaster. You know, you're you're trying to put pressure on in in getting their eye uh, as a defensive winger, thinking don't throw the pass. And then they just think it over yeah. as if it was, it was a kick or, or, or a pass itself on on the on the money every time. Um, so yeah, it's a great asset to have, especially with like different types of defenses. You need to have those attributes mm. to be able to punish them. Can I ask you one one last thing about um, Ryan Baird? It feels a little bit like um, Baird broke into the scene and was explosive, and then just had a little bit of a, a dip in form. But he's back now, and it feels like he's kind of the back row equivalent of Sheehan, where. Uh, maybe he's, maybe he's a second row, or maybe that's where he's going to have all of his, his best rugby. Maybe he's the second row equivalent, but it's just that um, I'm dying to see him in the team, just to see what he can bring. Is is he the freak of nature that we keep being told he is? What's he like in, in training? What's that like? I think athletically, he's an absolute freak. Yeah, he's is um, his spring and his kind of movement jump, uh, all those sorts of movements. He's just off the charts. Um, but I think for for the balance of the the kind of back row and stuff like that, I think that definitely plays a part. That's probably kept him out and experience, and and he probably needs to to get a bit of a break and then yeah prove himself, um you know at consistently at, at the top level. Um he's he's definitely all the talent in the world, so that that's definitely not the issue. What's the best position? I think I think six could could be a good fit for him. I think his line out because because six is uh, is important in the, in the in the line out unless you know, six or eight depending. If you've a good like John Brett eight, then six isn't as relevant uh, or vice versa. Uh, I think he he could be a class six, but at the same time, you talk about the balance of the back row. Um, 
if, if you know if you're to pick your your starting back row tomorrow, um, you're probably going to have Omani six because of the the leadership he brings. I think he's a he's a good fit balance wise with the uh, with the other two, and his line out is is exceptional. He's probably the best line out forward, um, definitely that I've ever like. Uh, I tra- train with him anyway th- through to him um, just like off the charts good right um, and his his game understanding and experience and all that all that side of things um, so I think it's it's hard to get rid of him and then like you know you've different versions of, of back rows so, you know you've, you've Darson six uh, say this week hypothetically if, that, if that's true again it's like how do you take him out yeah so that, that's that's the only reason. That's what's kind of holding holding them back. It's a very intense level of competition. And and the final final thing is we know the team. When we've known the team for all of the games, and the team has been pretty accurate in advance of the team being announced. This is a massive change in Irish rugby. Yeah, um, I I think you know they're 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 playing unbelievably well. I think they like they've nothing to hide. You know, like you know this is their team. Uh, off we go. And I'm not sure if they are leaking it, but you know it, it seems to be accurate. Or or the journalists are getting very good at guessing. Um, but yeah, I, I think you know it, it's is there a liberation under this coaching team that wasn't there under Schmidt. That's what I'm looking from afar. Do they feel? Is it a happier camp? Is it a more liberated camp? I don't know. Uh, it's a, it's a definitely it's a different coaching style. I think uh, Joe's kind of uh, like I touched on it before is like the the money ball style of you know he he was able to get down to the most minute bits of detail uh, and come up with a, almost like a script for the game and it was unbelievable that if you literally follow that exact script you were able to win and it was almost scary how he was able to. Um, analyze other teams and he knew their habits of holding and folding and how to do a move that would manipulate that certain person in certain areas of the field it was crazy um, I think this this coaching ticket it's, di- it's a different style um, I think it's it's more uh, like Andy Farrell is an unbelievable uh, he's an unbelievable speaker and, and you know you'd, you'd go to war for the man just He's he's great at galvanising people, and and the the minute detail is in there as well. But it's just a kind of a different way of of. The, but this team is it's kind of grown in and yeah. taken taken a hold of it as uh, at the same time as well. Yeah, it feels like it's the perfect marriage of uh, time and the group and the coaching tickets, and it's it was the next uh, evolutionary stage. Uh, great to have you with us again, James. Thanks a million for that. That was brilliant. Um, we've got uh, virtual insanity in a moment. John Duggan is with us. John, good morning to you. Morning, Ger and Johnny. How is the golf going? It is can't hit a barn door stage <laughs> at the moment. Uh, but as Winston Churchill said many times, never give in. And we've had 11 winners the last couple of years and two years of profit in a row. So we'll know where we are PNL wise October, November, and how the stakes haven't been that extravagant. So the faith is always there that you wake up and it's a new day and we go again. You're walking on Kalini Beach. I mean, no better way to deal with a bad one. Well, that's it. And I do it pretty much every day. And it's a boring Instagram page, but at least it's consistent. Yeah, look, you know, <laughs> uh, a moment of zen. Come here. Is there, is there a strategy in just backing John Ram at the moment? <laughs> uh, yes, because he's winning everything. <laughs> oh, no, no, I think, Jared, that you, players can get on streaks. I, and we maybe discussed it a few weeks ago that he is quite a, a guy motivated by a little bit of anger. 
and maybe he's able to channel that anger uh, now positively into wins as opposed to blowing up and, and blowing tournaments. So that, that's the maturity of being a world number one to win a major as he did at the US Open a couple of years ago and now winning everything. Um, what have you got for us this week? So we have five players on the podcast on the Go Loud Network, the OTB app on the Go Loud Network. Um, so you can check out the full five on the podcast because we want a bit of exclusivity and bonus content on that. I'll give you two right now. Uh, the headline selection for the Honda Classic in Florida which starts today at 10 to 12 hours time, is Taylor Pendrith, the Canadian. You can get four each way on him at 30 to 1, a bookmaker going at 10 places on Taylor Pendrith. I think that's value. This is a weaker field than last week. They had all the big guns last week. This Honda Classic has got a, a bit of a weaker field, so Johnny would know in a horse race sometimes. It'd be like a handicap in a horse race, not a graded race. And you're looking for maybe the class act in the handicap, and I think Taylor Pendrith is that. 25th on debut in this last year, uh, 7th on his penultimate start, Pebble Beach. Really, really big hitter of the ball, 10th in driving distance since last year, 10th in Greens and Regulation. And I just think that in the Florida swing now, they're moving from California to Florida uh, with this tournament to PJ National. I think Taylor Pendrith can definitely reach the frame at 30 to 1. So he's the headliner. Uh, the other one is the guy with the Irish name. I keep on tipping him because I think he's going to have a win very soon. Denny McCarthy, 14th last week at the uh, Genesis Invitational. Uh, nearly won at Pebble Beach a couple of weeks before that and is playing very consistently. The best putter on tour. Pretty much, I think that's the consensus, and he puts really well in the Bermuda Greens as he's going to face this week. He was also third in this a couple of years ago. So a lot of things pointing to Denny McCarthy for three each way at 25 to 1. So Denny McCarthy and Taylor Pentworth are the two we're going to give right now. The other three, including a 200 to 1 outsider uh, that'll probably miss the cut, but he could win. They're on the podcast network. All right, good stuff, John. Um, the news broke yesterday when we were on air that John O'Shea is yes. going to be involved in the backroom team. You've been covering John O'Shea's career, basically your entire career as well. So what do you make of this? I think it's good. I think it's going to be popular with the players. I mean, who doesn't like John O'Shea? Likes a horse as well. He does. Uh, I got a lift from him. I'm not trying to drop names or things, but I interviewed him about seven years ago and I got a lift back from... Uh, the Sunderland training ground to Newcastle Airport. We never talked about football the whole way. Just talked about horses and golf um, because he, he, he had a leg of a horse, I think, at the time and stuff. And just a really nice man, uh, a legend. Like, who can forget Gelson Kirkin? Uh, that goal, I think it was on his 100th appearance for the national team. 118 caps, Man United legend, Champions League winner. I think it's fairly winner. seamless as well, Giddy, in the sense, like, you know, I know that the camps are quite short and all that, but I don't think you should underestimate the the upheaval and like the fact that this does look like okay we might have a bit of permanency here now this might be our fixed scene going well I think we need permanency yeah because look it still is down now it might only be one campaign obviously, it's still well. down to Stephen Kenny right whatever happens uh, in the campaign I think there's a couple of things with John O'Shea I, 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 like he's got the resp- he's got he's got the gravitas of his career right and the fact that he's he's so well liked but also um, I, I think this is a camp where the players it does a feel good they need to feel good. Um, and that's what they've all been. You know, when you've when you've uh, any interviews, Nathan or anybody done an interview, they've always said how good the, the vibe is. So then you'll hope that the work he's done at Reading, the work he's doing at Stoke now, from a tactical point of view, and being in those dressing rooms at Ferguson and all that kind of thing, can help build a bit of gap, bring a bit of gravitas. But I think the key thing, Johnny, is that you have to have stability now with this. Because really, this is the campaign now. It is. We're, we're in the no excuses phase now. The honeymoon is well over. It is. The, yeah. the, so we and, we and Greece is the key to that. It's a tricky campaign. But Greece is the key. That's grand. Like oh, John O'Shea can also say, you know, Kenny's big on absolutely eleven v eleven. Do not fear whoever you're playing. John O'Shea be like, I don't make Figo. We can do this. You know, we can actually do this. Well, John O'Shea has played in many versatile roles, whether it was a centre-back or left-back or in goal. I was at the game he played in goal. It was against Spurs oh, yeah. in 2007. Right. Yeah. 
that was the day I got into the director's box, and I can never say how I got in there, but I get in there. How did you get in there? I can't say, um, because I'd get in trouble. Uh, but I remember Ferguson and Adam Sugar were in front Surely of me. Surely there's a statute of limitations on this. Uh, no, I don't know. I don't know. Um, Jade Papers and all that? Uh, I don't know if I can, but the, I, I brought a Man United fan with I me. I wouldn't pedal because it's my birthday. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't hear that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I brought a Man United fan. I was told, you're, uh, the, the person got me in, you said, you're scouting for a football club. Okay. And uh, the, the person I was with, I see he's a United fan. You cannot celebrate. And United absolutely dismantled us. The 4 0 beat the living hell out of us. How was the Man United goalie? Um, he was great. Like uh, I don't know, somebody got injured or something. The goalkeeper also got injured, and John O'Shea ended up in goal. And they were all singing his name and everything. The United fans were brilliant that day, but it was the old White Hart Lane. But um, yeah, that was uh, that's one of my only very few things that I've done that does a claim to fame but uh, he seems a humble type of guy like I he does certainly we had him on I, I, I have never met him but I completely you'd warm to him and uh, that, that, that harmony in the camp is important as well JD massively uh, and, and I just those uh, the wealth of experience of being in those dressing rooms playing with, with Keane playing in those big games yeah now we still have to find somebody to mark Killian Mbappe Yes, uh, it's yeah. tricky because uh, Seamus Coleman is our outstanding right-sided not playing that, week not in, enough, week yeah. out, and it, it, maybe he's got the nous at this stage. Maybe no, neither him nor Doherty is quick enough. Um, no, no, nobody is. It turns out. I, I think the, th- the thing about France coming to Lubin is look for the first twenty minutes will be fine, a bit like Liverpool the other night. It's all about France. Remember, we played the Dutch in two thousand. The, the, the biggest hangover after the Euros. How big would the French hangover be with players like Varane having retired? What would the hangover be like? Deschamps, yeah. obviously, there's a continuity there with Deschamps, but that's it's more about France this than us, to be honest, in ways. Um, but like, I'm very encouraged by the likes of Josh Cullen playing football week in week out at the moment. Yeah, um, and, and a style of play that's yes. significantly better than it would but, have been. But Greece is the key. I mean, I, I think we can accept as as football fans if we do like get results against Greece, and like it's very hard not to qualify for the Euros these days. Um, they, they've probably, made it hard with this group. Is the only thing. Yeah, but, uh, but like I think we're, we're probably going to looking at a playoff through the Nations League. I think that's the destination we're all we all know we're going to get to. But by that stage, we have to be ready. Yeah. What What's the atmosphere? Has Evan Ferguson yes. bedded in? as our first choice number nine and is Obafemi playing off him what system is he playing you know, yeah. is Chidozek Benny he's playing up front now but he did start at club level last season anyway is there a right wing back is there a possibility I don't know Look, there's, just, there's nothing to fear the, from the one, thing, the one thing I want to see from this team is st- please start beating weaker teams with conviction and yeah. if you can do that as your base then you can look at the bigger teams because we, can't, we haven't been able to do that and that's the problem Stephen Kenny's on at the moment and that's why there's such a, a cloud over it at the moment Andrew Omar he's in and out of the team at Norwich at the moment he's playing one week and then he's playing the next week off, and off at half time and he was a sub the other day yeah so, um, so he hasn't quite Colin's a bit of a worry I have to say because he's like look obviously not fancy Craig Dawson now yeah. at Wolves yeah and they <laughs> But like all of a sudden, like this is this is mad. Like we're talking with the best centre backs like we've ever had, and now we're like, oh, Collins isn't playing on Bamdelli's not. Like, it's like, oh, we did a Paul McGrath and Mark Lawrence and, and you know, we've, we've, a, we've, a very, we've a very good bunch of centre halves. Even like, and I will mention Young McNally for Coventry. He's doing really, really well, and he's not even on the periphery at the moment. One thing I would say, uh, experience is everything. Because I'm watching Bazoon every week, I'm watching highlights mm. every single week, mm. and like even going to Stamford Bridge, the hostility of playing at Stamford Bridge, Absolutely. making late late saves, like and the experience is getting out of that. And and the other thing is that all the managers who come in, it's easy for them. So Mark Travers has been dropped, and, yeah. and he's not getting back in the team at the moment. And their form is unfortunately picked up, and uh, you know, coincidentally. But with Bazunu, there's been manager, 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 and he's got in the team the whole way through. None of them have walked in and gone. Yeah. Up. 
I'm going to change the goalkeeper because it's a really easy thing for me to do and it's an obvious thing. Funny but enough, that there are, like, without over elaborating, there are a lot of positions now here. Like, I'm not exactly sure who he's going to start there. Um, and because players might be injured or out of form or even the system, the system's going to be huge in that game. I, I think whether or not Collins is in the team he's playing because he's yeah, such yeah, an important yeah, leader. Absolutely. For, like, that, that's, you know, and I think probably Seamus plays. Seamus plays. I think Seamus plays. I mean, he's, he's, he's in the team. He's playing week in, week out in the Premier League. We got nobody else doing that. Not fast enough to be a wing-back anymore. So maybe uh, he plays in as one of the three, I don't know, and then mm. maybe you can have him and Doherty in the team, but I want Seamus' street smarts, and I want him fighting with the referee, and I want you know, I don't want him rallying the troops. Like. We, we mentioned Haaland as well, in the sense if you're playing as Haaland, you just can't play a high line at any stage, and with Mbappe, it's like Stephen Kenny be like, we, we, at no point in this game can we leave any space in behind because he's just too quick. Simple as. Maybe over three nil up, we'd be able. We'd, we'd yeah, be. Uh, John. Anything else that um, we need to be aware of happening in the world today? Um, well, um, obviously, Man United tonight. Uh, no Gavi, no Pedri for the game uh, at Old Trafford uh, for the Barcelona Man United Europa League match two all uh, from the first leg. Uh, we have the women's team now playing the USA in April twice in more build-up games to the World Cup. So in Texas on April the eighth, St. Louis, Missouri on April the eleventh. Um, the tea leaves suggesting six changes. I think we all know what the team is, as, as he probably went through with James Tracy there, that um, Craig Casey's going to get the nod, Ronan Callagher, Ross Byrne, Bundiaki, Jack Cohn, and Nene Henderson. Mick Byrne, sad news, but the former Tipperary hurler has passed away. Uh, five All-Ireland titles, 58, 61, 62, 64, 65, uh, was a wing-back in that team, Nina Era Og. Um, and as Johnny knows, we're what, probably two and a half weeks out now from Cheltenham. So. Done any research yet, Johnny? Yeah, not as much as other years, but... Uh, Probably better off. Sometimes better years going fresh, Johnny. Yeah, yeah. Um, just have to uh, have to make sure that, you know, there are good VAR decisions made and handballs are handballs. <laughs> Leona Maguire is doing the um, country proud, as always, in the golf. She's only two off the lead after the first round of the Thailand uh, Classic on the LPJ Tour. Shane Larry and Patrick Harrington are in this Honda Classic. Uh, later on in Florida. All right, good stuff, JD. Oh, thanks for that. It's eight fifty-eight this morning, and more from John Acorst on off the ball on News Talk on Saturday afternoon. If you want to get in touch with us this morning, oh eight seven nine one eighty one eighty is the WhatsApp number. You can leave a comment in the YouTube stream. And OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Uh, Casey's good, says Mark C. Once he stays out of the heavy stuff, goes for the gaps that are there. Uh, Ancelotti's in Klopp's head more than his own dentist, says Powell seventy-four. Yeah, a little to that, I think. Uh, the Premiership in general is built on high tempo midfield very few teams over the history of the Premiership can control a game from midfield says Quirky 1980 I think that Pep's team initially that was their thing they could do that um, Man-, Man City were outstanding for an hour of that game last night let's not uh, you know go over the top here but it was just that was it a case where one nil up here and by the way one all draw should be fine they should be able to get the job done in Manchester but that period from half time to 70 75 for me I, I, don't, I just don't know why he didn't make any changes when it was clearly getting away from them I'm yeah I don't know I, and why did he come onto the pitch with the histrionics afterwards I don't know but he, why, he, why, why was that necessary he does that when the team is losing against inferior opposition he'll leave them out there to, oh, you got us into this problem nothing to do with me well, and I'm like you've got one of the most expensively assembled squads in the history of world sport in any sport and you, you've got five subs they've changed the rules to be advantageous to the richest clubs and you're sitting there and your hands going no, nothing to do with me you, you got us like you fix it they're paying you 12 14 million a year absolutely and I'd, I'd nearly have taken Haaland off um, and changed something and again we were a bit harsh on Haaland but he wasn't having a good night um, and they weren't pass- they literally were not passing him the ball at any point in the game pretty much
Right. Uh, who did they play the weekend? Last weekend. Next weekend. Who are, it's going to be interesting. You, you're supposed to be a lawyer. You, lawyers ask questions that they know the answers to. Yeah. Because um, obviously, you, you know, when I can Google it here for you. I'll tell you exactly what's happening. Um, it's it's going to be interesting now how they react to that. They missed De Bruyne last night. Should mention, even though I don't know if De Bruyne is having a great season either. Well, I think he's been he's been excellent. I like to to, to, a, to a point. I like to push uh, Bournemouth away. Bournemouth away. Okay, interesting. Half five on Saturday evening. Always dangerous when you do the shift here, and you're like, yeah, I wouldn't mind watching the half five game. And then you get home on Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you've uh, been done done by VAR. Um, okay, it's hard to imagine that uh, Ancelotti was at Everton only a few years ago. Since mm. quirky nineteen eighty, did the owners even realise what they had? There you go. And people were probably saying he was past his best at that stage. Paul Mallon says uh, Madrid have an older midfield, but they aren't being asked to play in the same way as Liverpool. Virgil Van Dijk, on the other hand, he's never been the same since he did his cruciate. Trent Alexander-Arnold is in Maguire form. Also, ooh, the Harry Maguire comparison for Trent. Uh, I mean, I I don't know. I, I think I think that's all fixable. I think if you see the turnaround at Manchester United, it has been fixable. Now there was a change of manager, so um, it, it, it is a bit. I know you're mentioning injuries and all that, but I I don't really buy that. Why is Salah playing so? Salah's playing like five out of ten this season, if even, and he's his confidence is kind of gone as well. I know he scored the night and he scored against Everton, but they were gifts of goals. He's not, and 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 also like we're we are, we're on about Haaland, but. The, the attacking three since Mane left, Firmino's kind of been injured, Jot has been injured, and in fairness, so has um, Luis Diaz. Diaz has been injured, but the, the, like I think the, there's not a cohesion there at all. No, like, there isn't. Nunes is kind of like a fish out of water in a sense, even though he's very good. I, I, look, I do think that they've had significant injury problems in their front line with Jota being out for as long as he was and with Diaz being out for as long as he was if those two had been fit you might not have missed Bobby Firmino who let's face it was becoming a sub Yeah, Firmino is supposed to be in the I'm a super sub role and I'm going to do yeah. stuff and there'll be specific games where I'm picked you know where we try and physically brutalise the opposition and midfield has been terrible this season they've had none of that sure yeah. absolutely the midfield has been terrible the defence has also been terrible and the front the forwards have been terrible so you take off 10% of the three of them and yeah, they, and it's probably even more. Yeah, they multiply that they're not like ten percent plus ten percent plus ten percent. It's like they end up like um, being force multipliers of general malaise and mediocrity. So that is always a problem. Um, I don't know if Klopp can fix it. I really don't, and I I do like if ask Liverpool fans this: How long does he stay? And maybe mixed opinions. But for me, he looks a bit of a beaten man at the moment, and his press conferences are kind of like that as well. You think that's the explanation for the Joker style manic laughter when they're losing? Uh, possibly, yeah. Uh, but both he and Pep, I think, are definitely like Pep has obviously the issues of the um, stuff off the pitch and so on and so forth. And he's a very prickly character, as is Klopp to an extent. But I think they're really, really feeling the heat at the moment. And um, maybe the likes of Eddie Howe, who just bats it away and just stays in a kind of an even level, even though Newcastle had a bit of a wobble. Maybe well, that's the way totally, to go. Yeah. I think Klopp. I, I, you think he's going to go? I, I don't really see him fixing this. I think Liverpool. The, the surgery is going to take a bit too too long for him to. Yeah, and and like I don't know, Canada um, gets fit. Uh, Virgil has some kind of recovery in form. You sign, um, yeah, you right. sign Jude Bellingham, and away you go. And all of a sudden, everybody's oh. fit next year. No, and, yeah, and you can do that. Graham made a good point about when Ancelotti feels that it's time to move on, it's time to move on. Klopp's time to move on 
May have passed. Four minutes past nine. Here's what's on OTB Sports Radio for you today. OTB Gold at one is Joe meeting Gerlach Nan. Koi Gig is at three. Our retro panel is leaders, captains and managers in the dressing room. And then OTB Gold is the story of the Wexford hurlers from 1956. Uh, you can follow off the wall across our social channels. Make sure you subscribe to our YouTube and uh, Twitter and Instagram. Up next, Shane Curran. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. Right, I'm delighted to say that uh, Shane Curran is with us to talk to us about the Rossies and uh, what the revolution that's happening there. Shane, good morning to you. How are you? Good morning, fellas. How are you all? All um, good. Well, as, as a Kildare man, I'm excited for you. You know, uh, I wonder how you feel about the whole thing. Roscommon, man, um, we're, we're all uh, very excited down Roscommon with the start that Davey has got off to with, with the team. Um, it's been an incredible start um, and I suppose wins breed confidence and now it's a case of, of looking forward to every game in the league as opposed to maybe at the start of the league wondering where um, uh, we were going to pick up three points in any game really, you know, and over the last, I think, seven or eight seasons been yo-yoing up and down between Division 1 and 2. Uh, league wins uh, were, were hard come by apart from, I suppose, uh, in Division 2 last year where, where they won every game and went unbeaten and are now still unbeaten in the league over, over two seasons. So um, it's been a great start. Uh, it has given everyone a, a shot in the arm and a bit of confidence. Um, it's given supporters uh, a, a big boost. And, you know, I'd like it maybe to the, the, the start of the Arteta, maybe top eras with Arsenal and Liverpool, that the supporters feel connected and, and uh, great crowds in the hide. And, um, you know, it's it's super to see. In fairness, the uh, club Roscommon, the um, the friends of Roscommon, the organisers had long been, you know, really active and were just crying out for something to get behind. And at various stages, as you say, the team would come up and there would be a surge of optimism and then they'd go back down. But this this feels just a little bit different for a couple of reasons. And I know a lot of people out there are going to be like, ah, it's only the league, you're getting carried away. But like, we're supposed to get carried away. We love sport. The, the whole point about this is that we love it and we're entitled to. But I think that there's... The, f- the foundation here is a really good team over the last five, six, seven years. And uh, as far as I understand, he, he trialled 90 players before settling on the squad. That's one aspect of this. And then the other aspect is that the style of play is really aggressive and hardworking and consistent. It's, it's something that you can now go, there's a pattern of play emerging from these games that has the fingerprints of the manager and that's getting the best out of the players. So why wouldn't you be getting excited about it? Yeah, it's true. It's more really. I, I take my supporters hat off, and I, I kind of go to games more looking at it from an analytical point of view, a managerial and a coaching point of view, than than, than maybe a supporter. And um, while you're you're going to support, I don't even get a chance to get to many games now because I'm coaching in Westmead. But uh, you get to see them on television, and you, you get to analyse it a little bit more. And as you alluded to, there 100. There's there is a style, and there is a definitive way of playing, and there is a hardness about Roscommon as well, which which is which is good. I think over the last couple of seasons a bit of softness crept in in terms of of, of um, how, how we played the game um, we like to play the game too slow too lateral uh, on the players terms as opposed to on the, on the team's terms uh, and that certainly has changed and, and um, David to his credit I think really the recruitment has been has been hugely important Um obviously Martin McHugh has come in uh, from Donegal he's put his stamp on it I, I was talking to one of the players coming off a plane recently and, and you know to have an All-Ireland winner in the dressing room 
um, with the players it, is, it gives gives a huge validity um, and gives them huge scope for, for, for believing in what, what, what's been what's been said and uh, their strength and conditioning um, Noel Flynn is there he's of, of Rossi blood um, has been there before I think with Kevin McStay very very good guy and then we've we've Eddie Lohan who Eddie has been involved with, with numerous under underage squads and from the famous Lohan family of, of, of uh, Roscommon um, greatness and uh, he's in the dressing room there and he's coaching the forwards and you can see you can see that there's people invested in the team uh, invested in the players and uh, it seems that nobody is guaranteed their place on the pitch which I think you know there's been a certain lethargy with the team over the last number of years. You nearly pick it one to fifteen or one sixteen, seventeen uh, every single week. But now, you know, you've got the likes of Dara Craig is coming. You've got Ben O'Carroll, you've got Robbie Dolan, uh, all right around under twenty teams over the last couple of years. Tiger Oak has come back to steady the midfield and do, do very well. And they've done all that. Like while Eddie Nolan is out injured, Alton Harney is gone for the year, uh, and Ronan Daly. So they were three massive losses to Davy before he ever went went to a trial at all. And he's just got on with his job, and um, got on with with no excuses. Um, and they've, they've got the win against Tyrone, which was a huge confidence booster. And Went obviously into Galway and won, and last weekend again Armagh. Um, I think we have to kind of maybe temper it as well in terms of that. I think myself that a lot of teams are different stages of the season now, bearing in mind uh, where and when the championship starts. But for Roscommon, it was hugely important that we arrest that that kind of um, bi yearly cycle of up and down, up and down. And it looks like we've done that this season and can look forward to the championship now with, with Mayo on the 9th of April uh, with, with a lot of confidence. A staggering state of affairs where you have Division T, Division One, where Connacht have the first, second, and third after three games. No, oh, no, no, no Leinster team. So it's a, it is it's a bizarre. I see Lee Keegan is saying it's a division that nobody wants to win. But the one thing I would say, Shane, when when Davy came on, um, he was on here on OTBM. Um, it was a few months ago now, but I was working that morning, and what really struck me was. I, I sort of put it to him like you're taking over here like what is the upside of this job like you're taking over from a good manager in Anthony Cunningham Roscommon have won a couple of Connacht titles they're in Division 1 where's the upside to this and he's like the potential of this forward line is what really does it for me and I, it really struck me and I remember there was a big reaction from Roscommon fans on social media as well and it's obviously rubbing off this belief that he's inculcating in the squad 100% and he's been involved with Minute as well so he, he's seen a good bit of, he's seen a good bit of the talent maybe coming through from from the from the pressures and and from from the the competitions in terms of of um, the underage talent he's had Colin Walsh there as well in in, um, in Minute that was involved with Roscommon under twenties and look he he obviously knows he knows the inside track in terms of the, the amount of young people that are around and what I like about Davy is that you know he's not made any excuses um, and he's been very very confident now he's talked um he's he's an affable guy he's obviously a good coach and uh, his his belief system and his positivity has has rubbed off on the players and i think that that's crucial but he's interspersed that thing with players as well that you know are hungry you know the likes of Daryl Craig um is a huge huge player has been very very good for you see DCU recently top top talent his dad Jerry played for the county so he has that blood in him and and wants to play for us common and, and wants to thrive with us common and and that's that's hugely hugely important and um, i think once you have that and once you have um that fighting spirit within a team within a squad to make 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 training sessions really competitive well then i think that's where we we've seen the difference over the last 6 to 8 months where i think 
you know, it, it had got stale, it had got stale um, on the previ- previous managements and uh, the recruitment, as I said, and the coaching staff have, has been very, very good. And, and uh, that that's key to it, I think, you know, there's nobody guaranteed a place, even though um, some of the older older um, stalwarts like Niall Daly have been, been absolutely fantastic as well. And Enda Smith, uh, when he started or played or come on, has, has made a difference with Tony Smith also on the sideline uh, and, and Young Cox. So... The, the squad seems to be getting deeper, and certainly um, there's energy in in their in their play. There's energy in how they want to play, and there's a, f- a focus on going after the ball. And I think that's that's very good. And, and I think if they can keep that up, um, certainly I think the next two or three games are going to be going to be difficult. Uh, Kerry and, and Mayo um, are going to be difficult, and uh, I think they'll be charging Donegal and and Monaghan to try and make sure and ensure. That that uh, Roscommon stay up. And, that, uh, sorry, Shane. Yeah, that's a, that's a compelling thing. Jerry's always gone about the league and all that. And like these games, they're so in their own. There's such a narrative behind them because if you look at the three Connacht managers now, Park Joyce under huge pressure this year because we got to an All Ireland final last year. Uh, despite the fact this is going to be harder, Kevin McStay has come in. Mayo are always thereabouts, but Roscommon now have created this this pressure in the sense that the fans are starting to believe you've won three games. You're already sort of not going to get relegated. So. Between now and that Mayo game you mentioned, there is a slight kind of pressure in the sense of, well, how do we better this? And what if we start losing games? And what if we go into the Connacht Championship on the back of, we'll say, four defeats in a row? Well, I, I think pressure is a privilege, and uh, when you're at this level, you have to you have to embrace that pressure, and you have to take it on board, and you have to grow grow under it, and you have to grow under the constraints of it as well. And, and it will bring certain certain elements for, for certainly for the younger players, where there will be questions asked to them. There, you know, there will be there will be bad days. You know, there's no doubt about that. Um, and I think when they have those little little blips and those bumps in the road, uh, that's really the, the Time that that we we need to stick with them and and uh, and keep developing them on 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 the pathway that they're on. Um, it won't be simple. I think you know, as you alluded to there, Boparik and Kevin are at different stages of their careers, and they're certainly their teams are at more mature levels. I feel, even though Mio, you may uh, argue, are rebuilding, their teams are at more mature levels um, from an SNC point of view than than Roscommon's are. And I think Roscommon at the moment are surviving. On, on the skill of the players, the skill of the management. Um, Sorry, on that, does that imply though that the, the, the SNC wasn't up to scratch going into this regime, or why would they not? Why would they be behind? I, I think it's, it's well known. It's not like I'm not, not um, offering up an opinion. It's well known that our SNC is is kind of is 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 quite a bit behind where it should be uh, at this at this level. Um, the reasons for it, I'm not 100 percent sure, but uh, there's been a lot of coming and going with, with different SNC um people over the last number of years. So we haven't really got that foundation or that consistency in our SNC. And I think it's something that needs to be addressed. And um, certainly at underage level. Um there there's not the same programs or there's not the same emphasis on it um as there is in, in other counties. And I, I think if you were to ask Davy if the, if there's any area that he'd like to improve in his team, I think S and C would be would would be one of them. That said I think sometimes we have to be very careful. I think in football too that we we balance the we balance the the the, the, the pylon in terms of 
what what's good and what's bad. You know, um, we have got very skillful footballers. We're, we've a strong tradition of producing really good forwards right back to the forties, fifties, into Charlie McManus era, Frankie Dolan era, uh, and now with the Murtas and 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 Smith and and uh, et al. So. Um, that era, that, that issue has never been a problem. It's, it's kind of um, ensuring that the strength and conditioning is right and the supports are right around these players is crucial now for the next next uh, five to six years. Shane, I, I've, I'm uh, working on a half-baked theory and it's still only half-baked, so if, it, uh, if the cake flops, then so be it. But I think that this is going to be a very random year because it's the first time that we've had a new championship where there's going to be a round-robin after the provincial championships, which dictate who ends up in the All Ireland quarterfinals, so we don't honestly yeah. know how well you need to be playing at this stage of the season. The other corollary that we don't know is that this has been concertinated in now to twelve, fourteen week period. So there's this. This might be the only year we ever get the opportunity for this to happen. But I feel like there's a possibility that we get a Leicester style. A team comes, starts playing well keeps playing well, gets confidence and then never dips because there isn't actually a break in, in you playing. So in that group of teams who could be Leicester, I would have Derry, I would kind of still have Galway because they haven't yet established themselves as like perennial Ireland contenders. You'd have had Armagh there and then if Roscommon keep winning, like all of a sudden you're like, actually, you know what? Because they have forwards. You can't, loads of counties, really great defensive structures, take four or five years to get a, a an offensive plan going. Gets you so far. You guys have it already. Yeah, we, we, we definitely have forwards, um, but we, we do have that, and I think we have to. Our our system has to be balanced on on being very effective going forward and and taking advantage of all of the, all of the, the pluses that we have up there. I think defensively, um, we are defending in numbers and we're defending really, really hard and very rigidly and very strongly. Um, is it sustainable at the mo- over a full season? Um, I'm not too sure, but what 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 we have at the moment is confidence, and confidence is everything in sport. And once you can keep building on that without it being chipped away at too much, and and certainly when we when play Mio and the Hyde in a couple of weeks' time, carry away if if those performances are at the level that that these performances have been over the last three weeks, well then you're looking forward into the championship. But it's very very <coughs> very very close into the league. I think we're, we're Two weeks out to the Mayo game on the 9th of April. Yeah. So it's a league final in between. Yeah, there's nothing in between and possibly a league final. Correct. And, um, you know, we don't, I don't necessarily think at the moment the Roscommon squad is deep enough to kind of hang that. And we've got to also, I suppose, take into account that probably two of the best teams in the country, uh, Derry and Dublin, are playing in Division 2 at the moment as well. So. Are you eating my half baked cake? Yeah, yeah, and and, and I think look, at, we we never know. I think we, we could be, we might, we might be a Brighton or a Brentford. I'm not so sure if we we can be, uh, we can be a Leicester just yet. But I do think there's a possibility that, like, if if Dublin <laughs> if Dublin are slightly off where they have been in, in recent seasons, and you know with McCarthy and Mannion back, they might not be. But there's a possibility they might be a little bit undercooked coming through Division Two and don't quite reach the pitch that they're at. Kerry. You know, traditionally, when Jack O'Connor has uh, done well, there's been a really good, strong, solid league campaign because the shortened season, because they had the team holiday, because like two of their clubs went to All Ireland finals, they haven't had the full uh, strength and conditioning work done that they want to do. Then all of a sudden, this is a bit more open. I mean, who knows? Like Cork could come from yeah, nowhere. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. It, it is certainly. I think the All Ireland Championship this year will be will be a lot more open. Um, and Roscommon, the expectations in Roscommon always really do well when expectations are. 
are dampened a little bit. Um, now expectations are, are quite high, but I also think, to be fair, among supporters and among certainly um, the management uh, fraternity and coaching fraternity uh, who talk about the games, there is a realisation that uh, there's been a brilliant, brilliant job done, but there's an awful lot more work to do. And, um, you know, we, we kind of tapered and, and try and dampen maybe that huge expectation that's been created now by the media, which is all very good. I think it's great to see the kids, um, for example, on the high last weekend, have, have meeting the players and chatting to the players. And I think we've lost that probably, that we lost that over the last 10 or 15 years for some reason. But post-COVID, I think, see kids out on the pitch, you know, looking at their heroes, touching their heroes, getting their, their signatures and all that sort of stuff. That's all brilliant for a county like Roscommon. And we need we need that in, in abundance all the time. And the league league gives us gives us that opportunity. And um, you know, the will as I said, there will be there will be bumps in the road and um the championship will come and it may not go necessarily how, how we felt it will come. But if you said to a Roscommon supporter three weeks ago or four weeks ago that we'd survive in division one we do quite well in the All Ireland series um, and win a couple of games. We would we would take that and, and and everything else after that is is a huge bonus. And I think we've got to give huge huge um, credit to Davy and and his backroom team. And I think to be honest about it as well the players for the way they've knuckled down, got to the job, um, and started doing it um, in in the way that we we feel they can do yeah. um, with the support that they have around them. Shane, great to talk to you again. Thanks a million. Cheers. Pleasure all mine, guys. Pleasure all mine. Shane Curran there. Um, 18 weeks to All-Ireland quarter-final day. That's not. That's nothing. It really is nothing, yeah. And it's like, just looking, Roscommon, 70,000 people. It's again one of them counties where it's literally football. It's like Monaghan, Mayo, some of these counties where Harlan doesn't really get a look in. Soccer isn't necessarily a big thing. Roscommon is football crazy. And I know Kenny. that myself. Kenny, obviously, disgraced to football. Um, interesting, Arthur D's article uh, that was online this week about, you know, the attempt to bring sort of Harlan in underage at all levels of club from sevens up was voted down, I think, two votes to one at Congress or whatever. Um, and Roscommon is one of these counties where obviously football is completely dominant but they're crazy about football and the the the, the problem for Davy will be now and I know this is to dampen expectation because they'll, they will ah, get ahead of themselves it's yeah a, like they book and Bronco you gotta yeah, and, and enjoy it as well because top of the league after three games yeah. these are the games that do matter almost more than championship in some respects um, you know if, if you're not go- you're not going to win the All-Ireland fair enough you're top of uh, Division 1 after three games they're is an amazing achievement they're guaranteed to be in the round robin and yeah. uh, look we'll have another debate about this some other day about whether or not the Connacht Championship is going to mean anything to than this year probably will because it's a new management team but like in the long run if they get if they get their form right for those three round robin games mm. and they're in an all-around quarter final in 18 weeks it's been a good season and no one will want to face them at that stage right don't miss all the action in Rugby Daily today in your OTB podcast network bringing you everything you need to know about rugby so wherever you get your podcasts uh, search for OTB Rugby and subscribe and every day Rugby Daily will drop it's all in partnership with Deliveroo Delivery has some great bundles and deals, so open the app, make your choice, and watch your rider come to you. Delivery food, we get it. Now, uh, fresh in the door from Sunny Marbs, uh, Kathleen McNamee. Good morning to you. How are you? Morning, guys. Yeah, I'm all right. Uh, a bit tired, but hopefully make it through this <laughs> and then just crawl into bed. A bit... Left Marbella at two a.m. So, oh yeah. right, Jesus. Yeah. What time it's was the been, flight? It's been a long few hours. <laughs> what time was the flight? Oh great! Dodgy internet in some some Shane. unknown part of the. You back? You're back, Kathleen. I'm back. I can hear you guys. Great. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, what time was the flight? Uh, the flight was at five to six. Oh my god! Right. So these are first world problems. Over. 
These are honestly yeah. first impressions. Like, she's a young journalist jetting off Spain to watch the team she loves. You know, she's not complaining. I have to agree with Johnny on that, to be fair. All it right. was tiresome at the time, but pretty good. <laughs> all right, fair enough. Uh, nil all draw, underwhelming from uh, playing style, certainly seems to have been the uh, commentary afterwards. You um, recorded Koi Gig. It's available for download now in the OTB football feed. What was the consensus from the expert on Koi Gig? Um, I think much the same as what you guys were saying this morning. I think maybe what we took away a little bit more was that this was an opportunity to see the new girls in action and also see some of the people who are maybe still trying to prove their point about why they should get on the plane. So we all know that, you know, Katie and Denise are definitely going. But what about your Abby Larkins or what about, say, someone like Eva Mannion, who we hadn't seen in an Irish context before? And this is actually yesterday was the most amount of minutes she played since she did her ACL in February. So considering the performance she put in, it was quite impressive. Um, but yeah, I think the main consensus was it was good to see those players get a run out. But also we still haven't solved our problem of how do we get goals um, especially our midfield was pretty much non-existent, as was our front players. Funny enough, Emma Byrne always calls for Katie McCabe to play higher up the pitch. She did yesterday, and she was non-existent at times, which is not something you say about her normally. Um, Were they so yeah, bypassing the midfield, of- Kathleen, or, or is it more that the midfielders just didn't have the confidence to get on the ball? Or what, why was why when you say non-existent, why non-existent? Um, so it was either that they were doing long balls up from the back, which is something that we have done for ages. And we were like, I actually was vaguely impressed that we weren't doing it as much yesterday as we normally did. And Vera did say to me that it's something she had been working on. But it was also just China were pressing us so hard in midfield that there was just no opportunity for the likes of Denise to get on any sort of balls. Um, and also it's just this weird system that Vera likes to play with five at the back and then Heather Payne is that lone player up front which makes no sense like I love Heather Payne I think she's a great player I think she deserves to go Australia but she's not a proven goal scorer like I think she makes so much more sense on the wings and doing those runs like most of the time if you look at the Irish heat maps and the players who have worked the most during a game she's only second to Denise O'Sullivan. So she's a great worker on the pitch, but she's just, not, like, she had some chances yesterday and she just fluffed them completely. Um, the other part about this is that, like, ultimately, it doesn't really matter. These are these are friendlies in the build-up to the World Cup. Try and make sure that you find some new players. Make sure your key players don't get injured, but are in some something approximating form. And the two games against America are going to be an opportunity for us to have a backs-to-the-wall preparation for our games against Canada and Australia. Yeah, I, yeah cause I was listening to you guys saying it didn't really matter earlier. And I kind of disagree in that, okay, yes, in the grand scheme of we're not going to remember this match in like five years time probably even in two years time in terms of the score but in terms of working out where this squad is right now and like who's the starting 11 who are the players that are going to make it who are the ones that aren't I do think it was important and um I have an interview coming out with Vera later today which you can get across off the ball um on all the social channels but she, I, she was talking about the reason why she picked like a Germany and a China to play and why she wanted to play France and why she wanted to have you know, an African opponent and she is very carefully mapped out this route to the World Cup and she's very carefully mapped out exactly what she wants the players to learn from each team. And I think in we 
don't have a lot of depth in our squad. We have a good enough starting eleven, but we don't have a lot of depth. And that's why it's exciting to see players like Eva Manion coming in because I think she does give us that. And days like yesterday, you, you could tell quite quickly the players that were rising to the occasion and the ones who weren't and the ones who maybe have to be a little bit worried and have to prove something over the next couple of months. So I think from that perspective, it is important. It's really important in the short term, but in the longer term, not so much, I suppose. Yeah, I guess 100%. It's clearly important for Vera and for the players. It's like the league, uh, the Alliance Football League doesn't matter, but it's really important to the individual players and the team. And so I, I buy that. Um, I guess I'm, I'm making the point that like, if, if Katie McCabe isn't playing well or if Denise Sullivan isn't playing well, that's probably because they're not that tuned in or excited about the fact that this is a game with nobody watching and, um, you know, they, they're grand. I don't expect them to do... Uh, 10 out of 10 performance yeah, in those matches. But also if you look at like their attitudes in general, like they are the sort of players who give 100%. Okay, they might not maybe do the crunching sort of tackles, but also like they were, like Katie yesterday looked frustrated. She looked annoyed on the pitch. And I don't know if it's a combination of not getting the ball she wanted or if it's like the club stuff coming into it as well. So like you also as much as KD is definitely on the plane you also don't want your captain and your main player coming off the pitch frustrated no matter if it's a friendly or a world cup game or whatever it might be um is that the end of the experiment of her playing further so when you said she played further field, was she playing um on the left of the three in midfield or where was she playing uh yeah so she was on the left up so it was like heather payne and then it was kind of KD and denise um, on the two different sides but like she was really really struggling with it like there was a couple of times where she was just running over to the right side just to try and get involved in play um, and getting quite annoyed the, I, the referee was quite bad as well and she was getting quite a lot of heavy hits and I don't think he I think he went in his pocket once for a yellow card but that was it um, I don't know if it's the end it was interesting Emma Byrne has always called for Katie to play higher up and uh, she was eating her words on Koi Gig last night because the issue is we just don't have the service to get the ball to players like Katie when she is playing there. So, so she's got to play left back, a left wing back, and we've got to run the game through her. And that, maybe that's one of the conclusions that you draw from um, matches like this. Yeah. Well, also another thing that the girl suggested last night was having like a midfield four and like actually have it developing that as a stronger positional thing. Like a lot of the positioning yesterday was a little bit strange. You know, I don't really think. Megan Connolly should be playing in the back line. I think she's far better in midfield and gives us a lot more options there. Now, when Nifahi comes back, that may change around a little bit. Um, but yeah, Katie up front yesterday, it just didn't work unless you're going to put her like full on striking position and give her free reign to run as much as she wants I don't see that position working for all that much in the future it's a tricky one in fairness because you know she's also brilliant crossing ability and a wizard of a left foot if you're going to be putting the ball in the box but if the, if the game is bypassing you in midfield then she starts getting frustrated as well so um, yeah and, and that, I think that's the point of these games though yeah yeah and maybe maybe as well you're, you're kind of cutting your cloth in terms of who you're playing against maybe in, in different games she might use her differently but um, that is a that's a massive challenge because she's going to be under so much scrutiny Vera in the sense of you're not getting the best out of Katie McCabe mm. well it's just like it was interesting yesterday because China were a lot more physical than I expected them to be and we handled it quite well like I expected players to get a bit more of a hot head on them um, and they were very very technical and again we 
stood up to it mostly it was mm. just like they had a couple of breaks it's just the we couldn't create chances of our own I think like Louise Quinn had one header off the bar um, from a McCabe corner and that in the first half and then in the second half there was the disallow goal yeah. and that was kind of it the ball yeah. didn't go through near the net at all apart from that um, so yeah it is an issue and as we always say like it's fine having low scoring games and it be nil all or one nil but also we still need to get that one goal and that has been the thing that sunk us in that's the past that's why these games are useful as well in the sense of you watch the video back and you're like why are we not creating anything here and you work on it yeah and uh, but we're not a particularly creative team like we're, we're our best case scenario is two nil all draws and a one nil win in the World Cup Right, like we, we, I think it's important that we temper expectations that this is going to be some kind of chrysalis-like emergence of a butterfly team that is the Harlem Globetrotters equivalent of. It's not going to happen. Like we got here by fighting and clawing our way through the group, and that's what we should expect. And like, that's the stage of evolution where the team is at at the moment. Yeah, and I think like looking ahead, we have Nations League at the end of the year. The Euros are coming up as well. Like there are plenty of places for us to go from this. I think it's just important that the whole experience is taken for what it is. It's amazing to get there, but also we do have the potential to put it up to these. I'm not saying we're going to win, but I say we do have the potential to perform. And I think that's the thing that would concern me is that we'll get overawed by it and not put on a performance. Um, but it's still it's still ages away. And like the US games and um, which haven't officially been announced, but they are pretty much happening. Uh, those will be great because those, I think the two stadiums are like 20, 30,000 that they're playing in and US fans turn up for those games. Like that's going to be one of the last few times they'll get the chance to see them before they go to Australia. So they'll probably be packed out. And that even that is great preparation for us then heading into the, the 80,000 cauldron that will be that first opening game, which actually, uh, for any fans still looking for tickets, another batch of tickets are going on sale at one o'clock Irish time tonight, if anyone's looking. You'll be long enough awesome. by then. <laughs> uh, I will be in bed back, about five minutes up. after this chat. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> uh, so all in all, slightly disappointing performance, plenty of uh, information and data points that Vera Pau certainly will be able to take as... Um, something from this and we're kind of we know a bit more about now the squad depth but that's about it in terms of learnings from this yeah I think and probably the main learning I got was individuals so I, Aoife Mannion was really really good and was talking to her afterwards and she you know she knew she was good as well um, and then also Marissa Shiva don't think she got enough time and we go on to this a bit more on Koi Gig, but don't think she got enough time on the pitch but she had some really interesting plays with the ball so I think I'd like to see a bit more of her and see how she fits into the squad. Mannion's on the plane. Is that what we're assuming? Pretty much, I think. Right. She may even have played her way into the starting eleven if she keeps it up. Um, she was, from get-go, so impressive. And she was behind Courtney Brosnan. She was the loudest person on the pitch because there was only about 50 people in the stadium. I think journalists probably outnumbered fans and parents. But um, you could hear everything they were saying and she was impressive. Like her vision, very, very good. Her confidence on the ball, very good. Like she could, a Chinese player could have her backed into the corner and she would have the confidence to hold the ball herself and actually play it out of defence rather than just doing our normal thing, which was to whack it away. All right. Good stuff, Kathleen. Uh, uh, enjoy the sleep and thanks very much for joining us. <laughs> thanks, guys. <laughs> uh, more Kathleen McAmey goodness on, of course, the Koi Gig Pod, which uh, is... Um, available in the OTB football feed 
uh, where you get post-match reaction from Karen Duggan and from Emma Byrne as well. Uh, right, the Italy team has been named as expected. Garabisi comes back in at 10. Um, it is pretty exciting. Prediction? So. It's a it's a great game. Like for uh, I don't know if it has an Ireland-Italy game that um, I can't remember if there had been deciding games. This game just means a lot in the sense of we're the best team in the world at the moment. And also we've made changes, uh, changes at out half, um, and Italy are good as well. Italy are really putting it up to teams, and yeah, it's it's going to be good. Yeah, it's a, it's What's a your prediction. Uh, look, I think Ireland are going to win. I think Ireland are going to handle 20, their business. Hmm? Twenty points ish. Uh, I I think you'd be happy with a ten to fifteen point victory with the the Bonus team that we've points. named. Like, um, I would expect them to score. Three, two, four tries. I would expect to concede two tries this time as opposed to, so, you know, then you're getting into a 10 to 12, 14 point difference. Mm. Better judges than I are predicting a 20 odd point score. And England, Wales? I think they're going to hockey Wales. They're going to hockey. They're going to hockey Wales after what's happened this week. The Welsh team. Won't galvanise the Welsh, no. Definitely not. It's not like, this isn't a, oh, you know, men of Harlech in the hollow. This is not that. This is like, our, our rugby culture is defunct the people who are in charge of us don't have our best interests at heart the like the absolutely everything is a shambles I mean if they if that galvanises the Welsh team then that is one of the all time great performances from any sports team under the circumstances but I shall ask you in the game of the weekend France-Scotland uh, I think France are going to beat Scotland they, they have to otherwise mm. if, if Scotland beat France yeah we're getting like French rugby is going to tear itself apart yeah so maybe we should be cheering for Scotland this weekend lots on, to look forward to on tomorrow's show much better analysis than that from Ron Nogar and Adam Quinlan <laughs> Liam Griffin is on talking about his proposal for all clubs to be mandated to have hurling uh, Manchester United against Barcelona reaction of course and the Friday fire pit as well OTB AM with Gillette get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar 